was any weaker tbs wouldn't be able to blow its nose but meanwhile will pyro be the only fireworks at the crown jewel this weekend an explosive show today and so much more and to join me hawaiian brian the podcasting lion the king of the arcadian vanguard podcast network mr co-host to you he's the most prolific and prominent prognosticator in podcasting the great brian last everybody aloha jim a pleasure to be here once again and we definitely have an episode to review today. Oh, yeah, are you going to say it again? You just said it about Uncle Bray Wyatt working with Cousin Howdy, and he's going to work a program with himself. It's, he's, he's an altar of his ego, and it looks like you're going to be right about that in some fashion. And what, what, it was just a show, maybe not even a week, maybe it's the same show. Where you asked me about when the boys were riding up and down the road in the cars in the old days, did they do fantasy booking? What would they fantasy? But well, we ought to work with so and so. We wouldn't. Often you would book serious programs in your head if, hey, we could do that or this. And sometimes you'd pitch them. But a lot of times it was of the, you know, I, I say now the the indies book shows that the boys used to book in the territory days in the car is a rib. Wouldn't it be funny if never really intending to want to do it, right? So you came up with your own little fantasy booking. Wouldn't it be funny? Wouldn't it be a smart-ass thing to do? And they did it. Because it was a smart-ass thing to do. Except they, they were thinking it was funny, but in a different fashion. They might not think it's funny. The ratings were funny. The, well, the... the I don't know if the ratings are the biggest problem they got to worry about about this program. I think they've instigated potential legal action that may not have been. We're going to talk about that later on. But anyway, uh, having said that, Brian, remember just a couple of days ago, I think 36 hours ago when we last recorded for one of these programs, I talked to you more than I talked to myself. And I like myself. But when I talked to you last, I mentioned that we had pressure washers, painting crews, we had contractors. The same thing happened again yesterday, had pest control people, had Hotchkiss Feather Bottom over here, had four contractors, three painters, and a partridge down in my pear tree. And today, Zippo Zilchnada. Nobody's here. And I figured a few people were going to be here, but I knew what my contractor... Am I cursed, Brian? Did I kick an old gypsy woman in a previous life? My contractor has just had, had surgery. He's got a cast on his hand. He looks like Cowboy Bob Orton Jr. at WrestleMania. He actually, a six-by-six six fence post when he was building my rear fence this summer attacked him and he blew his thumb out in some fashion. We tore the ligament in your thumb or what a tendon, whatever the fuck it is. And he, I guess contractors are like the boys. They're like, well, it looks funny, but it's, it's it'll get better. 
And then it wasn't getting better. And the doctor said, well, you know, you'll probably lose the use of that at some point if you don't do something about it. So apparently the, the something about it was to slice it open and do a variety of things to it. So now he's got a cast and a sling and it's his right hand. So he's waving at other people to do shit with his left hand, poor fella. And you may have met, remember that I mentioned that I fired Landon. I fired Landon. A lot of people have been chiming in on that one, but I fired Landon. And now I'm in a position where I have tons of manpower. I got the Monroes. I got the feather bottoms. Even the feather bottom that has both of his arms. I've got contractors, but nobody has the goddamn leaf removal equipment. And I called the guy that planted uh, some landscaping around the house earlier this fall that I spoke about right before the drought. So I had to be out there with a hose every day watering it. Oh, I don't do leaves, but I know somebody that does. He'll call you in 30 minutes. That was four days ago. Apparently he's on Pluto where time passes more slowly. Did you hear Chris Jericho next week on Dynamite's working with Landon? I <laughs> You've had that. You were saving that, weren't you? It came to me as you were talking. It It came came to me. No, it came to you in a dream last night. You wrote it down in the middle of the night. Jericho versus Landon. No disqualification. Anyway, so let me just say that I've got a few calls out, but if there are in the next couple of days after you hear this at the sound of my voice, any professional landscaping outfits in the Louisville metropolitan area, and I'm not I'm not talking about well-meaning amateurs with a rake and a smile. I'm talking about people with the professional leaf-removing equipment. If you would like to apply for a highly prestigious castle groundskeeper position, if you do the mowing and the cutting and all that stuff, this could be a long-term relationship. But if you got a leaf-removal equipment, email me quickly at jimcornette at jimcornette.com and put... Getting rid of your fucking leaves in capital letters in the subject matter so that I know what the fuck's going on. But meanwhile, like Landon flying off my property after he was banished, action figures are flying out to every state and all the countries around the world. Except for the Isle of Malta. That guy's not ordered yet. And I'll have you know that I mentioned only 36 hours ago, we're about the same place, but we're on the last 600 outstanding orders, and we should be on track to make sure that everything domestically is arriving to the fine folks by Thanksgiving. If you've ordered action figures at any point since they've been on sale, you should have your stuff domestically by Thanksgiving, and all the international orders should be shipped by then as well. But, you know, it's in the hands of the of the bots, you know, once it leaves our, the confines of our country, we don't know who takes over from there. So, but Brian, you don't even know about this. I'm breaking a, a news bulletin here on the program by popular demand. We are adding a piece of merchandise to jimcornet.com that I think is going to be highly popular. The official Lazy Booking T-shirt is finally making its debut on Saturday, November 19th at noon Eastern time. Our brand new 
lazy booking shirt will go on sale. It's a great design by Danny Williams at dannywilldraw.com. He's done some guest art for us on the YouTube channel. You know Danny, Brian. I do. Very talented guy. One of your friends. You claim everybody's your friend sometimes. He's I think. a very nice guy. He's a great artist. Well, yes, he is. What's your I'm, problem? Just some of you claim everybody. You've devalued having your friendship because you claim everybody in the world is your friend. So it's it's the bar is so much lower now. Whenever I haven't said it, you've gotten mad that I didn't say it because people expect to be reinforced that they're our friends. That's correct. But you started it anyway. You can't have it both ways. Well, have it both ways, folks, because you can have the lazy booking T-shirt as well as the Cornette face shirt and the I'm a Jim Cornette guy T-shirt by going to jimcornette.com. Although the Jim Cornette guy shirts, this is a heads up, are going to be going off sale when our current stock is sold out. So if you've been undecided on the I'm a Jim Cornette guy shirt, make up your mind. Because when these are sold out, they will not be replenished. The lazy booking shirt comes in on November 19th. Size is small to 5X. We're going to have a picture of it up uh, at jimcornett.com on a banner very shortly. I will keep you apprised of that. But the Cornett guy shirts, when these are gone, they're, they're gone. I'm not saying they'll never come back. But it's going to take a while because we're changing everything up. And... Tales from the Territories this week, Tuesday night at 10 o'clock on Vice TV, is going to be apparently Polynesian Pro Wrestling. We're going to get to hear Lars Anderson's side of these stories after all these years, Brian. Uh, last week, of course, was Stampede Wrestling with the... This was an eclectic group. David Schultz, Bobby Bass, Bret Hart, and Abdullah the Butcher was an eclectic group, but I love seeing Schultz just, he looks all the more like a demented Grizzly Adams now. Uh, but he told the story of, a, you know, they used to do heavy ribs and stampede, as everybody knows, and he told the story of the X-Lax chocolate chip cookies rib that he pulled on the locker room after they, somebody dropped something in his coffee. Um, but that, you know, that brought up to me, Brian, that, again, does anybody even understand in the business today, these days, what the fuck a rib is versus when you're you know, either being mean-spirited or trolling somebody on Twitter or, or the, you know, they thought, oh, yeah, the way the guys used to rib people was the, you know, the... Bulldogs and Rougeau's thing where they all got into fights and tried to kill each other or whatever. There's no happy medium. There's no just fun fucking ribs in the business anymore, it seems like. No more midgets jumping out of trunks or anything like that, no. No more naked midgets. That's right. And, and you know, the X-Lax... Like, well, go ahead. I was just going to say... That's the thing. What? I mean, you know, there's, there's a prank and a rib and then there are things too far like the briscoes throwing guys in their trunk and just taking off with them i mean that's probably too far well the briscoes spent some time in a truck a trunk once too so but that wasn't a rib uh but you know what's the matter with a good x lax chocolate chip cookie rib i mean some people think it's the shits but <laughs> 
Did did I ever? I've told you. Did you think of that one last night when you were dreaming? Well, no, were you no, dreaming no, about no, Landon no, no. and these jokes? No, I've told you that. Did I? I've told you the rib they used to play in Tennessee, where they would shoot somebody and then make an innocent bystander help dispose of the body. Right? I've told you that one. And but I told you the time that Nina Bond in the office had to help dispose of Sam Bass's body. But they used to mess with her all the time. The boys, when they would come in the office, they used to, um, they, they always had their, Nick Goulas always had his wrestling office for some reason, and a lot of wrestling promoters did in the old days, at a hotel downtown. And they would actually sell tickets out of it sometimes, as well as, you know, they might have the wrestlers stay there when they came into town, but... Goulas Welch was in the Maxwell House Hotel and the Sam Davis Hotel and various places during the 50s and 60s and 70s. And then, of course, Nick built his own place right two years before he went out of business. But anyway, so besides Nick and Roy in the office and the guys would come in from time to time to get their checks or complain about bookings or whatever, Christine Jarrett was the bookkeeper and she worked there, but they also had a secretary named Nina Bond. And the guys used to mess with Nina Bond, you know, play ribs on her terribly. And at one point, they pulled the X-Lax cookie rib on poor Nina Bond. But the thing was, at the hotel that they were, they had their offices in at the time, they, you know, the old days, the downtown hotels, I know people now are thinking like a Hampton Inn, how did that work, right? It was an old-fashioned downtown hotel, and there was a restaurant on the first floor and maybe a cocktail lounge and probably some you know, gift shops or miscellaneous stores, and then maybe the second or third floor would be offices, and then you'd get up farther and there'd be hotel rooms. And on the floor that the wrestling office was on, there was no bathroom. So they gave her the gimmick cookies, and... Christine Jarrett told us this story years later, and it was so funny, not only because it was a funny story, but also because it was coming from Teeny, and she's trying not to say any bad words or, or whatever. Yeah, I was going to ask you, did she find the humor in any of this? You, well, yeah, because she at, at the same time, you've, you've never seen a person tell a, a story with compassion for the person that was being ribbed while at the same time giggling at the memory. I, you know, and then And then at the same time, at the by the end of it, winding up with a tisk tisk on those boys that used to do that kind of thing, but they gave her the gimmick cookies, and it started working on her, and she and of course Teeny didn't know that the cookies were gimmicked ahead of time, or she probably would have intervened, but she was not aware of the situation till it was too late, and all of a sudden Nina Bond jumps up. And starts running for the door of the office. And boom, and slams the door. And they don't, what the fuck? And they went looking for a little while later on. And they, she said there was a trail of, of just shit. <laughs> just, she didn't say it like that. But she said there was a trail down the hallway and stopped at the elevator door. And then when the elevator doors opened, there was a big spot in the elevator. And then they went down to the first floor. And there was a trail that started out of the, that oh, door. Terrible. <laughs> but that, that was she was the one 
I told you the story about Sam Bass's body, right? I'm not sure. I know you've told me a story about a few bodies. I don't know if that was one of them. Well, the one in Behind the Curtain, my high pri- highly prized graphic novel on sale at jimcornette.com is about the Fargos with the hitchhiker. But so one day, Sam Bass, this had to be either late 60s, early 70s, probably because Sam wouldn't have been around. He comes in the office and tells Nina Bond he's hot, he's pissed off, he's mad at Roy. He wants to fucking talk to Roy Welch. Oh, and he storms in the office, and the door slams, and you can hear, apparently, you know, loud voices over a payoff or money in general or whatever the case, and all of a sudden you hear the gunshot. Bam! And then Roy Welch comes out of the office and looks at Nina and says, Come in here! And there's Sam Bass laid on the floor, graveyard dead to the naked eye. And <laughs> Roy says, we got to get him out of here. What? And he makes this woman help him get Sam's dead body. He carries it, but he's like, come on with me. And they go, apparently, you know, because they were tenants, they go to the, what do they call it? The freight elevator in the old days or the service elevator or whatever. And they go down, it goes out in the back alley, and he throws Sam's body in a dumpster and says, Make sure, don't tell anybody you haven't seen him. We're going to go around the front, act like we've just come in. <laughs> so meanwhile, however long it takes to get out of sight, Sam jumps out of the dumpster and goes back up the way and beats him back up there. And when they go back in the fucking wrestling office, the first thing Nina Bond sees is is the dead body of Sam Bass laying in her fucking office chair, fucking with his tongue stuck out. I'm I'm wondering why she didn't quit. Well, she screamed and yelled and fucking twittered about. What do you think you're going to do when you see the body you just disposed of back in your chair? But see, now that was the wrestling business. That was good shit. Anyway, when's the last time somebody asked you to help dispose of a body? I'm not answering that. Oh, I forgot. You're from New Jersey. I'm from Long Island. I live in New Jersey. Well, that's your fault too, isn't it now? I'm very proud of both of those facts. So Long Island doesn't meet your expectations anymore? No, it does not. Well, I'm sure they're sorry to hear about that. What could they do to make it better? Make it easier to hide a body. Well, can't argue with that. Folks, you know what? We should remind the people, if you want to know what you can do to make all of our lives better, this Tuesday, vote. Except if you're a Republican, then don't vote, and you could make our lives better. But I will make my, again, regular... Annual, semi-annual, every time there's an election pitched to everybody out there who might have something else to do on Tuesday or whatever, please, Jesus Christ, bring some fucking logic and reason and sanity to the world and go vote for any Democrat that you can find running anywhere. It Because I'm so sick of... After I've talked about Kane and Glenn Jacobs a, a couple of shows ago or whatever. Everybody tweeted me, like, I can't believe that you let political differences come between you and old friends. This is not political differences. 
You people are out of your fucking minds. It's not political differences. It's not even Republicans versus Democrats. It's in name only anymore because it's not differing opinions. How about if your old friend not only suddenly turned to crime, but stole from you? Then is it okay if you turn your back on him? Because that's what's happened here. These people want to elect candidates in the Republican Party who actually tried and are still trying to help Donald Trump steal the election. They want him to do it again. They've criminalized women's health care. The party of rights and freedoms doesn't want anybody to have any. But my fucking... The Republican voters are living in either such an alternate universe of denial or just they're so pissed off that they that they have to admit they're they were wrong that they would rather vote for a Lauren Bubert or a Herschel Walker to go to Washington and be involved in making laws rather than just admit we fell for a grifter And we're sorry our whole party has been taken hostage by lunatics, idiots, and fanatics. So instead, they just stick their head in the sand and act like these candidates and some they've already elected, Marjorie Treason Green, are normal, reasonable, legitimate choices, and it's about political differences. No, for the cognizant real world, the January 6th commission has proven what happened that day, and who was behind it, and the people who deny the election and cover up for it do not need to be in positions to be making laws in this country. And the candidates that this party, whether the TV reality host in Pennsylvania or the lunatic ex-football player brain-damaged maniac in Georgia or the like I said, some that they've already elected. These people could be in charge of a significant portion of your life. What the fuck? We've got to slap yourself awake. They're not going to change. They're going to be voting for the same people and doing the same shit that they've always done. And we're going to end up in the position we were in for four years a while ago again. If somebody doesn't fucking step in. So please step in on Tuesday. Thank you very much. Good fucking God. (sighs) Should we talk about a more pleasant subject? Like people getting blown up. Then what's going to happen in our fucking political climate over here? Speaking of political climates. What again? Now people are not only threatening, you know, they're not just threatening heels or wrestling events or whatever. Saudi Arabia, the whole country has been threatened and they are on high alert and putting in extra security measures in ahead of the crown jewel this weekend. So Brian, what else bigger than the crown jewel this weekend is going on in Saudi Arabia? What would be a more attractive place for a potential terror attack that's going on this weekend? Is are they doing a you know drive-in movie festival somewhere or something? 
I don't know what else is on the schedule in Saudi Arabian life this weekend, but I would think this is one of the biggest things. This is something endorsed by, brought over by the crown prince, and the Saudi Arabia government, I believe, was the one who informed the U.S. that Iran was about yes. to attack. Yes, and that's why I'm thinking, what the fuck? So now they announced, the WWE announced that they had a contingency plan just in case there was any, but they didn't say what that plan was. Obviously, you know, at this point, you need to keep your movements secret if you're going into a potential war zone. Yeah, the plan is the only place worse than Saudi Arabia, Florida. (laughs) Well, you may have a point there, too. Um, But... My God, already we talked about this. A bunch of the guys can't be happy. I mean, I saw a story um, yesterday, I guess it was now, where that said that there's always some, the word trepidation was used. There's always some trepidation on the part of the talent when they go over there, and I would think that trepidation has been magnified. But my God, see... I mean, they they claimed a security threat at WrestleMania at the L.A. Coliseum in nineteen what ninety one, which was the reason why they moved indoors because they couldn't sell any tickets. But is this the first time that they've had a legitimate credible? I, I say it's a legitimate credible threat because when a government notifies another government of something of that nature, you would think that qualifies it to be legitimate and credible. Have they ever had a threat against? the whole state or the whole country where an event was going to be the biggest thing in it. That's never happened before in history, has it? Not that I'm aware of. So what do you fucking got? Are they going to, are they going to have pyro with that being bad taste? I mean, I'm not even shitting now. Actually, I kind of fucking am fucking with them, but also in seriously, I wouldn't want to hear pyro going off if I was a fan or a talent in that stadium under these conditions. If they'd have had pyro in Louisiana, in Mid-South Wrestling, I probably would have had a heart attack every fucking night. So what... I'm, at some point, do the do the majority of the underneath guys who are not getting paid a million dollars or more to go along with this, you know, join amongst themselves and say, hell no, we won't go? I... It, I wouldn't fucking touch it with a 10-foot pole. They're already there, right? Well, but no, I mean, I mean, I mean at some point in the future, if they keep doing this, if, if they get to keep doing this, if nothing happens bad this weekend. Didn't Gallows and Anderson say they would never go back after they left WWE the last time? Well, yeah, because they were on the plane when they were held hostage, apparently, but nobody will admit that except the people who were held hostage. Uh, the time before, a couple years ago, they said, never again, they're back. But fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. But that's what I'm saying. At some point, one time before, they've had a scary situation with a plane that never was fully explained in a satisfactory way to everybody, it seems like, because there's still conflicting stories about it. And now they've had a threat to the entire country from a hostile foreign government while they're going over there to be guests of the people that that hostile foreign government want to bomb at what point do some of the guys like i said who are just on the card and who are like 
you know, fuck me. You guys want to be General Patton? Go march up that fucking hill. But I'll be over here. It's not my fucking fight. I didn't. I didn't want the 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 Israeli tour in world class in 1985. That's a big reason why we hurried up and gave our notice to go, to go to Crockett, also to make money. But also, when we heard about that tour of Israel, oh yeah, you're the biggest thing in a country that's been at war for 30 fucking years. And you're the biggest thing on television there. World-class wrestling. We're all going to go over there in person. Oh, joy. Oh, bliss. And when they got there, they said, all the guys said that did go on the tour, they had an armed, I don't know, it was a army, militia, whatever, uniformed, you know, people with a goddamn automatic rifle outside everybody's hotel room door just to make them feel safe. Fuck you! I'll be over at the goddamn Super 8 with the Domino's guy knocking on my door. Thank you very much. What do you think, Brian? You Would you take over that... that uh, if, if the WWE says, fuck it, we ain't gonna do this anymore, would you take that contract over? Would you go over there to the to the lovely land of Saudi Arabia? I wouldn't, for a number of reasons. I mean, the most attractive reason and the only reason they're really doing it is because of the spectacular amount of money. The only reason I can consider going along with that would be just any negative effect on the stock. But other than that, no, they shouldn't be over there, and they shouldn't be doing shows over there, and they shouldn't be forcing these people, whether they're forcing them or whether they just give them guilt trips about going over there. These shows shouldn't be happening, and, you know, you hear a lot about blood money and this and that. But the guy fucking murdered Jamal Khashoggi, and we're supposed to forget about it because Vince McMahon wanted to make a deal with them? Nah, that's all right. And uh, now Sami Zayn doesn't go because he's he's Muslim. I don't know enough about that particular part of the world to know whether that means he's a babyface or a heel, but I assume it means he's a heel. Is he on the outside of the religious aspect of their thing, or what the fuck's going on over there? I can't speak to Sami Zayn's position because I don't know it enough, but I can say, uh, as I think most people know, there are different types of Muslims. There are people, just like Judaism and Christianity and everything else, there are Orthodox, there are people who take things too seriously, there are Reformed. They're all different types. The North Koreans don't like the South Koreans. So I'm the point is Sammy and MVP, who apparently is of some Muslim-like faith, I guess, he's not going to be there with uh, almost, I saw. So do they give the people with religious exemptions an out. I guess they can't make them. They, they get sued to. or whatever. Oh yeah, right? there's no choice. Yeah, I'd turn to God real quick. I'd find the the religion that would get heat for going to Saudi Arabia. If I was any of the boys, right? Find the religion that will get you heat if you go to Saudi Arabia and become a devout practitioner of that. Have there been any Scientologists that you know of in wrestling? Oh, good lord! I can't uh, think of one. I don't remember. Uh, you know. I mean, you know, again, in the 80s and 90s, there was not a lot of religion discussing in the locker room to begin with, which, you know, suited me just fine. But I don't remember anyone ever talking about it or writing about it or confessing to it or whatever the fuck may be. No one ever said, hey, Jim, you know, you're a really smart guy. I got this book I want you to read called Dianetics. None of that. No, I, I would have thought it, diuretics were, were going around the locker room at one point in time, you know. Um, at one point. Dianetics. 
And, you know, and that's the thing. And 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 bless him, George South. Love George South to death. But he's the and he wouldn't beat you over the head with it or anything, and you know, uh, uh, preach as some people do. But he would leave the little Jesus saves pamphlet in every bathroom, in every locker room, in every arena that he ever went to for the last 30 years. I don't know if he still does it now, but last time I was around him, there's, they were still there. Every time you go in to sit down and take a shit, there would be the little pamphlet with the verse on the front and talking about how you can come to know Jesus and visit at his house, have barbecues, whatever the case. And but he would never say anything outside, but he just, you know, leave it there in case anybody needed something to pick up and read. But we worked the Midnight Express during one of the midnight. Re- As a matter of fact, it was the same show where I first saw Dax Harwood. And said, my God, this guy's spectacular. He's just a natural. And that was way before he was Dax Harwood. I've told that story. But anyway, on the same show, Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry had a, a legends match against it was Ricky Morton and George South because I get Robert either couldn't make it was hurt whatever and George for whatever we're in a National Guard armory and there's seven or eight hundred people there it's a small town in North Carolina but it's a nice crowd but it's you know it's not Starcade and George wanted to get juice for the midnight for what and I'm like all right I mean I can't stop him and he came out for the match and he had the on the back of his trunks he had written Jesus. Cause you know, because he's religious and loves Jesus. He wrote it? Well, no, he hadn't he had, it, it was printed in, in like on your tights, when you have something written on the back of your tights, you okay, know, okay. professionally in the letters, like a t-shirt or whatever. He had it done. He didn't just take a sharpie, but you know what I'm saying. But it's written across the back, Jesus. And so then we get, start getting the heat on him. I whack him with the racket or whatever. He gets juice. And I said at that point, I said to Bobby, because Bobby was on the apron, I said, you know, there's six billion people in this world, but I bet you that nowhere else on this entire planet is a 50-something-year-old man wearing swimming trunks with Jesus on the back of him, cutting his head with a razor blade. But where were we going with that? I don't know. So Scientology. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about any of them, but George South is bad. And then then, then everybody, like 20 years ago or whatever, everybody suddenly became religious. At first, you know, Tully was one of the early ones and and, uh, and Nikita, but then then it was a wave. And then, and DBS, and then everybody becomes religious or everybody becomes a, a preacher or a proselytizer or whatever the fuck in their spare time to the point where I remember one time in like 2008 at TNA, we were at a, not just Orlando at the Universal Studios. We were at an arena. I can't remember whether it was Atlanta or St. Louis, but a, a, pap- a big pay-per-view, big for TNA at that time a pay-per-view on location in a big arena and me and Dutch Mantel are running around that building everywhere trying to find the people that we need to find in the matches that are going to go on live at seven o'clock at night. It's like one something in the afternoon. We can't find a, a complete match with everybody involved and 
we're running around and there's like only half the crew, if that, we can find. And so we found out later on they had all decided to call. And Craig Jenkins, who worked in the office as like a live event coordinator, the live event coordinator, had captained this. They found a room up in the arena and had all called a prayer meeting of some kind. It was like for all the believers, we're going to have a meeting where I guess they were going to read the Bible at 1.30 in the afternoon on the day of a fucking pay-per-view. I said, God, they didn't have to get here till fucking noon. They had all morning to go to church if that was their inclination. But they come to the arena for a live pay-per-view, and then they go fucking hide somewhere and read the... They need to be reading the format. Why'd you make me mad? Yeah, praying worked. Wouldn't TNA have been a better promotion? Well, if... <laughs> all right, you're... Anyway, back to uh, back to Saudi Arabia. Or were, did we leave Saudi Arabia already? Let's get out of the Middle East, please. Let's get out of the Middle East. Well, we hope everything goes well there, and we're going to be covering that show if it indeed does take place or wherever it takes place from, or maybe they're going to do it from a undisclosed bunker in Saudi Arabia, but we're going to be covering that on your program this week, the drive through right? I believe so. Yes, it airs. As we are recording tomorrow at noon, that great noon start time. Wait a minute. It's, it's, oh, I thought you meant our show was going to start at noon tomorrow. I was going, wait a minute. That'd be too quick. No, the, the paper or the premium live event, Saudi Arabia, Crown Jewel. We'll be talking about it on the drive through. That's right. Indeed. <laughs> well, speaking of close shaves, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, come on. If you need to get out of town or country just in the nick of time, you want to make sure you take something with you because Thanksgiving time is coming up. It's time for pumpkins and spice and everything nice. And of course, there can be nothing nicer than sitting down to a beautiful Thanksgiving dinner with your parents or your children or your in-laws or your spouse and significant other and having the Fresh and clean feeling that only comes from freshly shaved balls. And that's something you'll be able to talk to your in-laws about. You'll be able to tell them with pride how slick you keep your balls so that no hair or lint or associated pet matter might go into the mouth of your spouse that they is their offspring and would not want something like that to happen to them. Could Brian think about this? They wouldn't want this conversation at all. Well, they'd want to know that their offspring was being taken care of by their offspring's significant other so there wasn't any lint or fromunda cheese or anything that gets in in their offspring's mouth at a time like Thanksgiving. You want to give thanks for something like that. That's why you want to keep those bad boys clean and smooth and slick and shaved, and nothing works better than the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Now, say you're sitting across the Thanksgiving table from your mother-in-law. You might bring up, hey, Ma, have you seen the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer? That thing has a cutting-edge ceramic blade. It reduces grooming accidents to practically nil thanks to the advanced skin-safe technology. And you can turn that 4,000K LED spotlight on and off whenever you need it, and you can shave your balls in the dark. Not only works on your balls, it works on your groin and crotchal area and the Hershey Highway between the crack of your keister. 
And you'll just be able, you can do road work down there in no time. You don't have to call the county crew to come out in those orange vet. The prisoners from jail is what it is. Well, you don't want them up your ass. You just run that lawnmower 4.0 up and down a couple of times and you're slicker than whale shit in an ice flow, Ma. That's what you could tell her. That's why that your little Gladys never has my pubic hairs in between her teeth. And then you get the weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer. Let's say, for example, that little Evelyn, she wants to whisper some little nothings in your ear, but you got an ear hair that looks like, goddamn, I don't know, Bermuda grass coming out of that thing. You take the weed whacker, you trim that down, she can whisper all day long. You'll not only be able to hear her, but also no ear hair will be sucked into her windpipe. And also in the Performance Package 4.0, you got the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant. And if, if somebody's nose is going to be anywhere within two or three feet of your nether regions, you got to make sure that it doesn't, you know, gag a man eating from under cheese in a septic tank of a slaughterhouse down there. You got the Crop Reviver Toner, the Performance Boxer Briefs, although if you prefer, if you prefer to go free in it, then you can actually use the boxer briefs uh, as, as a, a nice little wipe. And they give you a travel bag to hold all your goodies. So you can sit down and you can tell your mother-in-law with confidence that this Thanksgiving, you're going to be taking care of everything down there, chopping up your worst weeds, preventing the nicks and snags and tugs and all the delicate holes and orifices. And, you know, some people have echoes down there. And so you can imagine what might grow up if you don't do proper maintenance. And I'll tell you what, those, those sprays and shower products, and you can find the other Manscaped products, including the signature deodorant and colognes. All you got to do, Brian, Brian, what are you going to do for Thanksgiving for your in-laws? Are you going to give them the proper confidence that they need that you're taking care of your situation there so that their little offspring doesn't have to incur any of your funk. I'm not participating in whatever it is you're doing here right now. All righty. We'll get 20% off and free shipping with the code DRIVE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping for the Performance Package 4.0 at manscaped.com. Use the code DRIVE. Don't sit down to Thanksgiving dinner with fungus and rot. Sit down to Thanksgiving dinner with pumpkin and spice and all your balls feeling nice. That's right, Manscaped. Well, I've said about people before, if brains were gasoline, they couldn't propel a flea's motorcycle around a raindrop. But the old saying goes as well, if, if dynamite was any weaker, TBS wouldn't be able to blow their nose, as I said at the top of the program. And I... The one thing I asked you to do before we went on the air, Brian, last was not tell me I haven't heard because I've had all of the outside conflicts and issues and workmen, and et cetera. I haven't heard what the ratings were for Dynamite nor the ratings pattern. I haven't heard anything. I wanted you to keep me in the dark until we finish talking about this program. But that not only have... The adults left the room, but the delinquent children have corrupted the weak-willed teacher. Summer camp <laughs> nightmare. It's a summer camp nightmare. I told you, summer camp nightmare. Oh, my God. And now 
I don't know what's going to go on, but again, we're going to ask the question, if you're a major wrestling star, do you ever again trust this outfit with your career for any amount of money? All righty. Um, if you're a fan, do you trust them? If you're a fan no, I, who watches them to be an alternative, do you trust AEW? Well, it depends on what you trust them to do. Do I trust them to drop the ball every time they get it? Yes. And with what's gone on over the last year or so, every opportunity, every time they've had somebody get hot that wasn't in the, they should have just, instead of the elite, they should have just called themselves the click. Only the thing that everybody forgets about the click and the WWF, and even I admit this, the click were assholes, but the click were drawing money. This click doesn't draw the money, but still is assholes to all the talent that is drawing the money. So we'll go through this and figure that out for ourselves with the evidence on display. Uh, remember Darby Allen got caught underneath the garage door and in a figure four leg lock at the hands of Jay Lethal here not long ago. So the opening match on Dynamite was Jay Lethal versus Darby Allen in a grudge match. And again, I'm not going to talk as much about the matches on this program as why they're happening, or in some cases, asking why they're happening, or how little sense they make. I would have loved this match. First of all, I'd love the match if they'd used the ring, because they didn't much. Darby loves to get flung around like a fucking satchel on the floor. But can you imagine? Jay Lethal is so good. Imagine how good this might have been, not only as potentially as a match, but as a as a draw, as a ratings draw, or as something of interest to the fans, if Jay had been presented as a person on the level of Darby Allen, on the level of any of the stars from the start. It's the same thing that Tony has done with everybody, ex-Ring of Honor talent or not. Everybody comes in except the obvious, you know, punk or whatever, everybody comes in and gets beat. Not only once, but multiple times on television. And I'll try to explain this again. I don't care if everybody knows, in quotation marks, who so-and-so is and what they've done and their whole life story. When a new talent comes into a new promotion, comes into a new television program, who they work with in their first match, and whether it's competitive or not, and whether they win or lose or not, tells the fans what level to take them at. And when it's not just once, but it's several times, that confirms the mental picture that the fan has. Okay, this guy's a middle car guy, he's an underneath guy, he's somebody's a star he, whatever he is and you don't just bring people in with no plan and have them have good matches with people on television and get beat and then suddenly after two months or three months or six months then you start giving them wins horses out of the barn cowboy so this match, you know, Jade Lethal is a tremendous talent. Darby Allen, as we've said, has his own weird charisma. They spent a lot of time out on the floor because Darby likes it that way. And they went to break five minutes into the show 
with neither guy in the ring and nothing happening. Darby's down selling and Jay's wandering around. So for the lead-in audience that they got, they see Darby Allen. He's been presented as a star. Yes, he has interest. Then they see Jay Lethal, great wrestler that they've never really been told is a great wrestler because their first impressions of him were he gets beat. And then they go to break five minutes in without being in a gripping contest. So I'm interested to see how many people stuck around. But coming back, on the other side of the break, they were in the ring. The best spot of the match, Darby Allen does a suicide dive out of the ring on Zippy, the giant pinhead, and he just bounced right off him. The guy didn't even move. That looked incredible. That was a tremendous visual. And that's the kind of thing that if you are going to do it and know you can do it, do it in an angle. <laughs> but anyway, as soon as that happened and the referee's kicking Zippy and Sanjay out of ringside, a guy dressed as Sting in a Sting mask and black, you know, blah, 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 attacks Darby Allen from behind on the floor, throws him in the ring, and Jay Lethal hits the lethal injection, one, two, three. And by the way, that move, I know it's Gaga, but the one there's there's always a Gaga move that somebody does so well you can buy it and you don't mind it. And with that move, Jay's so smooth with it, and if a guy takes it smooth, I know it's Gaga, the guy doesn't have to stand there, but it does look good. So I'm not going to browbeat him for that. But if Jay Lethal had beat Darby Allen, even in this convoluted finish, in his first TV appearance, Darby Allen would be the same and Jay Lethal would be a lot better off. But here we get to the good part. Because you can tell that Tony is now is going into hyperactive mode trying to be the booker of the year. Because he's making this shit so complicated, you couldn't figure it out with a compass and a Rosetta Stone. <laughs> because everybody knows that the best booking is always so fucking complicated, you need a protractor and a notepad to figure it out. So, they unveil... <laughs> they unveil Sting... And make a big show, and I know where they were going with this, and I'll explain it in a second, but still, my God. They unveil Sting and make a big build-up to it, and he takes the mask off, and the people are kind of rumbling like, who's it going to be, who's it going to be? And they take the mask off, and the people fall dead silent. And the announcers scream, what? It's, it's Cole Carter! And the people are standing there going, who the fuck is that? I mean, they, the announcers could have said, it's, it's Dan Tucker. It was the most audience silence I've ever heard from a reveal ever, uh, ever. Get, get out of the way for old Dan Tucker. He's too late to have his supper. Supper's over and dinner's cooking. Old Dan Tucker just stands there looking. Old Dan Tucker rode to town, riding a mule and leading a hound. Hound dog barked and mule did buck. Old Dan Tucker had real bad luck. Get out of the way for old Dan Tucker. He's a real motherfucker. 
If you anyway, wanted to sing, you just had to say you wanted to sing today. Um. So, so there standing there is Dan Tucker. <laughs> Cole Carter. Cole Carter. And suddenly music plays and it's Sting. And there's the lights and the snow. And the heels jump out in the owl wave where, of course, if somebody's coming to attack you and you're in the ring, it's better. You'll get a better vantage point if you jump down in the aisle so you can't catch them coming through the ropes. They got a fair shot. So they're waiting in the aisleway for the for the appearance of Sting, and Darby Allen stands up in the ring, and in the back of Darby Allen from behind, into the ring comes Jeff Jarrett. And I'll tell you one thing, apparently us Tennessee boys are the only ones that can do a surprise debut. Because think about this, every surprise debut that you can think of in the last 15 years has been stooged off or rumored or hinted at or widely known except mine and Jeff Jarrett's. When we show up, we keep it a secret. And a lot of people out there now are saying, I wish the promotion would too, but nevertheless. So Jeff comes in and Darby won't turn around and Jeff's winding up and and Darby apparently is going to just stand there forever. So Jeff reaches, grabs him, and spins him, and hits him over the head with the guitar, which apparently busted him open hard way because as he's laying there, a pool of blood starts appearing around his head. And Jeff cut a promo about his family legacy and how long they've been in wrestling and that they always make an impact and that body bags are on the way. And he even he knocked some of the production people because they all used to work for him and probably at this point will again. And here's the thing. An hour later, I guess right after the show was by the time the show went off the air, Tony Khan had tweeted welcoming Jeff Jarrett to the company and announcing that he was also going to have a position as an executive in the office. Okay. Either one of these things I will work with. Everybody knows I think Jeff Jarrett's a fucking fantastic wrestling mind and talent. He's uh, Right now, if he walked in there, he'd be one of the upper 10 percentile of best workers on the TNA roster. At his age, he's still in great shape, but because yeah. of his... You just said, you just hit the problem right there. You don't even realize it. Well, yeah, well, and that's part of the problem. You said TNA. Or, oh, did I say TNA? I'm that's sorry. That's the problem. It conjures some thoughts of TNA. That's the All exact right. problem. But here we go. We're going to break this down. He would be one of the upper 10 percentile of the wrestlers in the AEW roster because he was one of the upper 10 percentile of wrestlers in the TNA roster. He's had 30 years of his 30 plus years of experience, started as a teenager. He grew up in the business. He's worked with everybody. He can work with everybody. His fucking, he can wrestle, he can fight, he can do the Tennessee stuff, he can fucking work. And that's uh, uh, indeed the problem is that he would come in and he knows how to be a heel and a babyface. And he would come in and be able to have a match with anybody on this roster. But. That's not where, right now, Jeff Jarrett, to me, is needed. 
And we'll talk about that in a second. But for the point is, for Tony to do a surprise debut of a heel that comes in, <laughs> breaks a guitar over one of the baby faces' heads, busts him open, announces he's going to fuck with everybody there because they're all a bunch of fucking kids, basically, and body bags are on the way. And the owner of the company an hour later says, welcome, Jeff, you're going to be an executive. These two things cannot coexist, can they? How the, what the fuck was, why? Unless Tony's turned heel. That's what, he's, he's turned to crack, apparently. The other stuff wasn't strong enough. So, and here's another thing. As much as I like Jeff Jarrett's work, and even though he's in good shape at his age, better shape than most people are at any age, goddamn, they don't need him in the ring at this point. They need him in the office. But if he's going to be in the office, he shouldn't come out doing angles, busting people open, and promising body bags. But Punk returned, who was and uh, Here again, I'll give each man their proper respect. CM Punk didn't grow up in the wrestling business and didn't uh, fucking start his own promotion multiple times like Jeff did. But Jeff, honestly, has never been a position as a money-drawn talent that CM Punk was. So Punk came and did bring on the roster, did bring business, did bring pay-per-view buys, did bring house show gates, did bring ratings. And they still couldn't get close to the WWE. Jeff Jarrett is not going to bring the numbers in those categories that Punk did as a wrestler. Jeff Jarrett should have been brought in as a guy who, again, has dealt with every goddamn wrestler in some fashion or another, it's been in the business for the last 25 or 30 years, and whether some people don't like him or not, he knows how to fucking... He was the one... It wasn't Dixie Carter, for fuck's sake. He was the one that kept all those disparate, obnoxious, egotistical, and or motivated or unmotivated personalities in TNA on the same page most of the time for quite a few years. I would not only have Jeff's input in promoting live events, which is his strong point, finding local sponsors, local tie-ins, getting people into buildings to buy tickets, but I would also have him be the one who, as a guy, again, who's been in every position in this business. Promoter, booker, matchmaker, creative team, he's done, what a wrestler, etc. There's your talent relations guy. Because at least he can talk to him as a wrestler instead of a modern entitled prick or a goddamn nobody or a never was that nobody's going to listen to. But I don't see how both all these things can happen at the same time. Or then you're setting yourself up. But now here's another wrestler that would have an office position. And I've got, I guess now the rumor that's been floating around of what his office position is, is that he might help with international markets. Well, yes, he did the thing with fucking 
the India show, Rinka King or whatever, while TNA was going on. But I mean, you know, yeah, let's get the most experienced guy that we've got on the in the company at a variety of things and let's send him over to Bombay. What the fuck is going on here? So yeah, new heel, promising body bags, also going to be in the office, <laughs> and in uh, obviously being used in areas where his tremendous expertise is not as needed as it is in others. What do you think, young Brian Last? Well, I killed this on Twitter, so I should probably explain a little bit about why I think the way I do. I'll talk first about on-air, just on-air stuff. You have been praising Jay Lethal as long I was going to say as long as I know you, but I know you longer than you know Jay Lethal. For yeah. years, you've been praising Jay Lethal to me, and especially lately with him in AEW, so now he's in front of us. I've never been as big a fan as you, but I keep trying to... I trust your word on wrestling. I keep trying to see it. The stuff in the ring in this match was great. The rest of the match and the layout of the match, blame whoever you want. But the last thing this guy needs is for people to be reminded that he was in TNA. Yeah. And this was Team TNA. Him and Sanjay and Jeff Jarrett? I don't think this helps anything. This promotion, from day one, has had comparisons to the worst of TNA and the worst of WCW. And when fucking Jeff Jarrett shows up on that show with a fucking guitar, I'm so, that is the biggest turnoff to so many people. I don't even know if I can put it into words. If there's any image of the worst of TNA... Who is the champ? Who is on top? Jeff Jarrett. The worst of WCW. Who is in the middle of it? Now, wait a minute. I don't think Jeff Jarrett was the champion during the worst of TNA. Remember how long that thing lasted before Aunt Dixie slunk off. You're right. I'll get to the behind-the-scenes stuff, but I don't think it's a positive to Jay Lethal, but maybe that's a lost cause right now. I don't think it's a positive to the overall show to have Jeff Jarrett on there. That's not to take away what he could do in the ring. Because I think the problem has always been he's a much, much, much more talented wrestler than he is someone that the fans invest in. I will, I will concur with that. He's an incredibly talented wrestler. However, it conjures up feelings like mine. Like, oh, it feels like the end of WCW when you see Jeff Jarrett and his fucking guitar. Behind the scenes, I agree he can help with a lot of stuff. I don't know if he's, you know, some people say he should be Tony's right-hand man or the head of creative, I'm not going to go that far. Get him in the door first. Let's see how he coexists with everyone. Well, and see, here's the thing. Jeff was it's like the Senate over there. Jeff was the head of, cre of the creative team in TNA. And of course, then you had the dynamic of Russo working against him and behind his back with Dixie and blah, blah, blah. But whether he was there or not, Jeff was always the head of creative, but he didn't sit down and do the whole thing himself. That's why he had Dutch. That's why he had other people at various points in time. And I'm not saying that Jeff should be the head of creative. I'm saying Jeff should help Tony Khan run that fucking business and keep the wrestlers from each other's throats. And that's what he's got experience in. And he's made more of an impact in starting TNA in keeping it alive all that time and starting other companies, doing promotions behind the scenes than he has in the ring. And that, at this point, is what AEW badly needs instead of other wrestling talent that, again, he may be good. What 
are we going are we going to invest in getting Jeff over on this program when he's in his 50s? We got younger guys, but boy, they need direction. People vomit. They, they don't, People they don't, vomit they when don't. they hear that music play. People just get ready to vomit all over the place as soon as they hear well, it. Hey, I get ready to vomit all over the place every time this program comes on the air. Well, here's another problem. They named him head of business development, I think it was. Head of business development. I've worked with real business development people. AEW, if they don't have a serious executive there who's handling business development, they're fucked. Not someone who can help with the wrestling end of thing getting sponsors. But as a company, it can't be Jeff Jarrett doing that. That's what I want to know. What exactly is his well, job? But do, but do they know what the head of business development means? And see, here's another Tony thing. Tony should. If, Tony should. Well, Tony should know a lot of things. If you get a guy in the wrestling business like that or anybody else that has experience in a variety of things and blah, 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 you don't give him a – well, you can give him any job title you want. Give it here. Here, your head fucking ball liquor. I don't give a shit. Go out and do the shit you do. That's what that's you know what that's what I did with Kerry Silken with Ring of Honor before, which is the reason. And by the way, they were in Baltimore, uh, and every part of the show was Ring of Honor. And I had to think that those poor people in Baltimore, some of them are like, we remember when the Ring of Honor shows were a lot better than this. But that's what you you don't just say, okay, this is your department, you do this. You bring somebody in with that variety of experience in wrestling and say, help me, do your shit. Book something, talk some fucking star into coming over here, find me a sponsor, get me a TV contract, find somebody you know to make my program better, an announcer, whatever the fuck, coach the kids, do what you do, and whatever their job title is. So I don't care what his job title is, I just think he ought to be a resource that Tony can use that better than... Whacking we'll people over the head with yeah. a guitar. Well, we'll see how late Jeff Jarrett could stay up on Tuesday nights with Tony if he wants to make a real impact on that show. Do you understand what I'm saying, though, about the idea that if you're yes. someone who hates TNA or someone who just remembers the fall of TNA, whatever you want to call it, it's him and Sanjay and Jay Lethal. It drags Jay Lethal down. In this, in this day and age, an alternative young people's wrestling promotion an alternative to the WWE and the establishment or whatever needs to have young faces and young stars with older people in experience behind the scenes and behind them, leading them to be the new generation, not a clusterfuck because the limited veterans that are there are so glad to have a job or the entitled pricks that have been named their bosses are so fucking self-taught and obnoxious they can't break down and realize they don't know what they're doing at that level and a feckless fucking owner running around trying to be everybody's friend you know when vince moved pat patterson off commentary that's right around the time he dyed his hair you never saw him on tv they never said his name for years except when they were making fun of jobbers and sexual fetishes or whatever you never heard anything about pat patterson when they had those agent pull-apart brawls, it was just another dark-haired guy. I'm not saying Jeff Jarrett has to dye his hair, but he shouldn't be involved in angles right now in 2022 on TV, shouldn't be involved in matches. He should be working behind the scenes. Well, and as a matter of fact, considering the level of brain power a lot of these fucking people are involved with, um, 
He might be running. If the company still exists in a year and a half, he might be running it. Tony will be in rehab and oh, we're a curse. mental institution. That's you just you just cursed it. That's the same thing you said about him in WWE. Oh, watch out! Something happened to Vince, and Jeff may run the whole thing. Well, yeah, and you know what? <laughs> I think Triple H thought that too. And the first one of the first things he did was, well, we we need you to go home. He didn't need competition. Anyway, speaking of competition, the world. AEW champion had some net because up next was John Moxley against Lee Moriarty. And again, I guess this is how that the young folks these days, the modern generation thinks that you elevate a talent uh, instead of how you make your world champion look like a fucking putz. But Moxley obviously won, and it took way too long, and it was very competitive. So have we seen Lee Moriarty win a singles match on television ever, ever? I don't believe so, but I could be wrong. Have we seen Lee Moriarty have a singles match on television ever? I don't think so, but I'm not sure. I could be wrong. His first one was with the world champion, and he took him about 10 minutes, and it was by the skin of his teeth that Moxley won. And then immediately, the other page who has been doing commentary jumps in the ring and attacks Moxley and knocks him out with one big boot. So Moxley, who has been not only in the ring with everybody and not sold everybody's shit, Suddenly, it takes him 10 minutes to beat Lee Moriarty, and then the other page knocks him out with a big boot. So there you go, a mid-card heel. Uh, And they just all left. Let me ask you a question about this. Obviously, Moxley is one of the guys there who has a lot of input in what he does, and this is how he wants to see himself as a champion, how he wants to be on TV, defending the title every week. Whether it's Moxley or Hulk Hogan or anyone's world champion what are your thoughts on this kind of build to a pay-per-view match or just the way he's presented week by week defending the title every single week against somebody (sighs) you're traditionally the world champion the last thing he has needed is wins on television right and in any promotion down through history the world champion wrestled on television very sparingly the title was usually never on the line, but I know now the financial dynamics have changed, so you can afford to have world title matches on free television. But he doesn't just need win wins on TV. And it somewhat diminishes, although in Moxley's case, I mean, we, as we know, the people who like him like him, and the people who don't like him have figured out if you see one match, you're going to see everything. So I don't know whether these rules even apply, but I mean, it's not like... My God, Hulk Hogan, Steve Austin, Ric Flair, Jack Briscoe, any world champion in any era, John Moxley, what's not not right with this picture? So, but just, here's the thing. He's got a fan base, and some of the people like that weird personality he has. 
But as we know, underneath that personality is a complete blithering fucking idiot that loves deathmatch wrestling and the can't teach the guys anything because he's got this fetish for garbage indie wrestlers. And, you know, he can't lead and he can't have any other kind of match except the kind of shit that he has. So you've got an attraction, but the more people see of him, I think the more it diminishes him and or, you know, he can't be channeled because he won't be, he, he can't do what he's told to do by his boss because that's why he apparently was so miserable in WWE, we now, now found out. It wasn't that he was being held down. It's that they couldn't fucking beat this goofiness out of him. So, Ida, he's a conundrum to me. Would you like to move on to the next conundrum? Okay. I was wondering if you were still alive there for a second. <laughs> so was I when I was watching the show. Ay, ay, ay. All right. Renee Moxley Good sat down with Soraya because Britt Baker didn't show up. Where have we just seen this? Didn't they just have the sit down between Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley where Bobby was there and Brock wasn't? Now the sit down Soraya. So Soraya and Renee just had some girl chat. And then Renee asked her about her medical status. And she said, well, I'd say something now, but I'm going to talk to one more doctor. What? And then I'll tell you next week. What? If you haven't talked to a bunch of doctors by now, what the fuck are you doing here? So nothing was said there of any account. And then we get to the big birthday party. And, you know, the acclaimed made their entrance and Caster rapped about Billy Gunn's birthday and it's a birthday party and there's a table in the ring with the presents and all the stuff. And and everybody's waiting for me to shit on this. But honestly, here's the, again, you see this constantly. And the WWF, it looks even worse because they have a bigger budget and the balloons and the empty wrapped boxes and the fucking bows around the ring posts and all the shit. And you see shit like this on raw constantly on SmackDown constantly. We've seen it here before parties and celebrations and blah, blah, blah. So it doesn't stand out. But if you didn't see it all the time, this segment would have worked till the end, at least it, if it was the only silly segment that you saw for a several week period of time. If it it was the only party segment you'd seen in a few months or whatever, these guys are over. They've kind of got a personality that allows them to be silly. Billy Gunn has really caught on with these people. It's one of these things also that a lot of times I've said, when a lot of the rest of the show is the shits, the fans will decide for themselves, amongst themselves, how they want to amuse themselves and whether they want to just get some odd fucking guy or team or whatever over. And that's played a part in it. And it works for them. So, and they were being silly amongst themselves. They weren't being silly with people they were supposed to be mad at. So I, again, they did a good job. They brought out the, the presence, the world's greatest dad trophy, um, you know, the whole nine yards, and then the certificate of adoption, 
where Billy can sign it and he could actually be their real adopted dad. And of course, this is ridiculous. But again, you know, it works for them. Until here come the ass boys. And they're pissed off, obviously, at their father turning his back. And holy jumping howdy, suddenly in from behind comes the great value Kevin Nash, William Morrissey. Apparently that is his real name. I just kept, William Morris was in my mind, but W. Morrissey, but Taz was calling him, oh, there's Bill Morrissey. At least it wasn't Jim Morrison. But W. Morrissey hits from behind and they jump the baby faces and they get heat on them briefly until FTR's music plays and they get a huge pop from the crowd because, again, Baltimore would love to see FTR like we all would and they come down and, and by the time they get in the ring, the heels have powdered no contact. They didn't even get to make a fucking comeback. And FTR picks up the tag team belts and hands them with stern faces to the acclaimed. And I, at that point, I wrote, I smell another eight-man tag team match coming. And I got news for you. Before the show's over, somebody's going to win that pony. What'd you think, Brian, here? Well, I do love the idea that Tony's response to the way Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks have treated FTR behind the scenes is to have them come out every week and get a pop for their music and then leave. We still don't see them wrestle. All they do now is they play the music, they get a pop for them coming out, and then people quickly realize they're not wrestling, <laughs> and they get deflated. Horrible use of FTR. A horrible booking of FTR. Look, I like the acclaimed. And they got themselves over. And they had the National Scissoring Day, and they've gotten away with a lot of stuff because they're really over right now. You're right that we see too much of the other stuff, but for me and my personal tastes, I wasn't crazy about the acclaim segment. I'd like to see them just actually start having matches and let Max Caster. That would be a plus. Let Max Caster just rap on the way to the ring, the thing that actually got them over that they don't do anymore. What happened to that trademark deal also? Did they, they win that back or did we miss something? What trademark deal? Remember Mark Sterling, the fake oh. lawyer, trademarked Scissor Me Daddy. Yeah, I don't know what happened to that. It must have happened on one of the other shows that no one watches. Oh. So I don't like that. And I have to be honest, I hated this week's show. I'm just going to say it here. No MJF. <laughs> so there's not that well, one no, segment. After, after, hey, after we saw what they had MJF involved in and what he was doing last week, I actually, I think no MJF is good MJF. At least he ain't going in the wrong direction if he ain't doing anything. It showed you a lot this week. What happens when you take MJF's one segment out of that show, the rest of the show, to me, for my sensibilities, and I try to like AEW. For everyone thinks I just hate it, I really want AEW to work. It'll be good for everybody, but it sucks right now. It's so bad. The TV's awful. The booking's bad, and there's nothing to look forward to. This whole show. <laughs> the, 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 the booking's bad. The TV is awful. There's nothing to look forward to, but I want them to succeed. I do. I, I want, you know what? I, mean, I know it just you're you're I can't believe you're still optimistic at this point. But I didn't like this. You liked it though. I know I didn't it, it works for them. It it's wasn't acceptable offensive. For you. It it except until to me, if you're gonna do something like that, these people do it with, except then again we get another beatdown with other 
either brand new or unknown people, W. Morrissey, climaxing in another meaningless eight-man tag where a bunch of people are grouped together for no reason, and the two fucking people that everybody wants to see that are being hidden and buried by the EVPs are once again hidden and buried in the middle of it. But they can claim, well, they're all there. We had them do something. Nevertheless, it was... (laughs) This is the sh- this is the segment that you want to crow about. I'll let you get it out of the way. You predicted this. Patient zero for comedy wrestling. You said this as a joke last week. Yeah, one of the former ROH champions they're going to get to put Jericho over is going to be Colt Boom Boom Cabana. And you and it was a, obviously it was a joke. Number one, we said did he even ha- ever have the belt? And now Jericho's promo amended that to any champion, tag champion, TV champion, pure champion, women's champion. Just because even Ring of Honor in the worst days of the promotion was never desperate enough to put the belt on Cabana. But there are actually, again, people trying to say this wasn't and a display of how Tony Khan has lost all control and Chris Jericho. Now he's got that Cheshire cat smile. He has poisoned punks. Well, and now that punks on the way out and he's got Tony's ear, he's going to be the smart ass. And here we go. Colt Cabana. It was exactly done to rub it in punk's face or what they think's going to rub something in punk's face. But here, before we talk about this match, is Tony Khan completely bereft of his senses? That was a question to you, Brian Last. I don't think he's completely bereft of him, but I don't think he necessarily uh, does things based on his senses. He sometimes trusts other people's senses. Okay, well now, Chris Jericho is going to be the one to get Tony Khan sued. Because what are you doing? You already know that Punk is not a guy who apparently takes being disrespected lying down and is going to say something or do something about it, not only in this company, but of his track record. So what we've been hearing is that a buyout is being negotiated. And the only other detail that we've heard that's been publicly mentioned by anybody is that a non-compete term or clause was part of a hang-up. So that basically means, on the surface of it, Punk has said, okay, give me my fucking money and I'll be on my way. And Tony is attempting to give him his money, but apparently would want a longer non-compete clause than punk wants because it wouldn't work the other way it wouldn't be tony saying oh punk go anywhere right now and punk said no 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 i need so it has to be that way right by just any common sense because tony realizes that punk could sue his ass over any of this at any time and win not only that but if he won or before he even won All the EVPs, all of them would be deposed. All of them would be giving depositions under oath. All of the talent involved, anybody that had any knowledge or 
acquaintance with any of these people and or the situation would be under oath giving depositions and in discovery misconduct by the EVPs and or issues with any other talent besides punk would come out as well as a very close look at who did this quote unquote independent investigation and or how independent that those investigators really are from the con's entire business empire. And Punk would win a lawsuit. I don't I think it would be a slam dunk. The only the only problem with that would be how long it might take. But it's not like he wouldn't win. So before Tony before you give this guy his money to go away and he signs off on whatever you have agreed on and offered him and he's taken, don't piss the fucking guy off. Don't let your minions piss the fucking guy off. Don't let your minions do the same thing that they were doing behind his back to the journalists, except now that they think they've won, they're doing it on live television in the middle of your own business that you're not in any way in control of. Don't piss the guy off or he'll sue you and he'll win. And all the things about how slapdash your company is could very well be in writing for a variety of people to see. So for I his know dad to see, if we're going to be honest about it. For his dad, how exactly how close is Shad to this investigation and to what all's going on? And how much does he know about who Tony has hired to be in these positions and how they conduct themselves? Don't piss the guy. Just get him his check. And wipe your head. You've made the choice. You're going to side with the kids instead of the adult. You're going to side with the people that started the problem and fostered this environment of all friends wrestling instead of the guy that from your own chicken lips, Tony Khan said, drew you more money than any other wrestler ever. He made that comment on numerous of occasions. So now that you've done that, Give the guys money to go away and be thankful and wipe your head that you got away with something because elsewise you're going to get your ass sued and everybody's going to find out what a bunch of dipshits you got working for you. But in the meantime, Chris Jericho had a match with Colt Cabana. And do you know, <laughs> I will say this right here and right now, Colt Cabana tried his hardest, worked his ass off. That is the most serious, best match that he's had in 15 years. Now, again, that may be like being the nicest guy in prison, but there was no of the ass in the face. There was the no jolly joker smile. There was the no cute little movements that he does to confound his opponent. He worked because he was trying to prove something. Now, he's still a non-entity in the wrestling business and in AEW, and he's going to be a non-entity in Ring of Honor, which is practically a non-entity itself. But at least he fucking stepped up to try to be serious to prove something. And, then, of course, then Jericho beat him because that's Jericho's thing. Not only does he want to bring in all the ex-Ring of Honor champions, a 
an angle that gets him a win on TV every week, but he wanted to do this specifically this week so that, you know, he could send a message up to Chicago. <sighs> What'd you think of the match before we get to the afterbirth? Oh, the match sucked. There was that great spot where they both fell off the rope to the floor. That was spectacular. <laughs> you guys are old. Stop doing this shit. You know, it was what I expected it to be. I joked about it, but I was pretty confident that's exactly what it was going to be. You know, it's funny. When you think of the Bucks' friends, they got Cabana back on TV, Brian Cage back on TV. Got to wonder if Joey Ryan's going to be next. Well, he he's going to be partners with Cage, right? Because they're close, from what I understand. I don't like the way they're using Jericho here. It's nonstop Jericho on this show. You have Jer Jared at the beginning of the show, but it's total nonstop Jericho each and every week. It feels like just an, a drunk episode of Raw, and everything sucks. And no, no one wants to see this, the Ocho, each and every week doing this. Swami doesn't want to see it. Swami's up in arms back there. But yeah, fuck this segment. No. Yeah. The wood chipper. But then Jericho wins on the way up the ramp. Jericho Stooges, Daddy Mac, Mac Daddy, and Cool Hand Luke get Ian Riccoboni, the Ring of Honor commentator from the announce booth, and drag him over on stage and start slapping him around and breaking his glasses. What the f And then here comes Claudio and Brian Danielson and Sammy Guevara and Wheeler Useless and security, and everybody had a big phony fight with fake punches. Again. It, I know there's 20 people out there in a big, wild skirmish, but folks, assume that the camera is on you and you're not just contributing meaningless motion to a fucking big schmoz. Somebody's going to be looking at you individually. Make your shit look good. And it's television. Anyway. So then did you catch the interview with Felix and Penthouse? Penthouse. <laughs> Felix and Penthouse and Pac with Renee Moxley Good. I did. Okay. Pac comes out and gives Felix a hammer and say, you got to use this in the match tonight. Okay, maybe that might be something that you'd have wanted to do in the locker room amongst yourselves in private, rather than telling everybody about it ahead of time. Bayer, use this hammer. So it's a three-way match, a triple threat match for the A&P title, with Felix against Dino Douche against Pockets. And Brian, normally I only watch the... I was going to say serious wrestling matches, but I only watch the serious wrestling matches or people attempting to have a serious match. I don't watch pockets because I don't dignify the one note joke that quit getting funny three years ago. But this match had the potential to be the worst match ever held in wrestling. Really? So, well, think about it. <laughs> In their own way, each of them are the drizzling shits. And they're all different ways that each of them are the drizzling shits. Plus, it's a, it's a triple threat match. It's a three-way. Plus, it's for a fucking title that nobody cares about. So I figured this has all the makings, right? And this on a show where we're about to see Jane Cargill against Marina Schaefer. 
said, I'm going to watch this. So here's the highlights. They double drop kicked Dino Douche to the floor, and he stayed out there and sold and wandered around for two full minutes while Felix and Pockets went through a phony choreographed tumbling routine at about 100 miles an hour where nobody sold anything and it looked like a kid's TikTok video. And then Dino got back in and beat both of them up in such a boring fashion that it killed the crowd and they went to the break. Then they came back and Felix was throwing the fakest punches that I've ever seen, even worse than the previous segment. And then Penthouse and Felix sat, tried some kind of double team on Dino. And whatever it was, everybody just kind of fell over sideways. And then Penthouse and Felix tried a double dive out of the ring on Dino. And Dino was supposed to catch both of them by the throat, like in chokeslam position. But he missed Felix, and Felix fell on the ground. So to make up for that, he went over and picked Felix up and chokeslammed him through a table at ringside. And then Dino and Pockets fought, in quotation marks, up the ramp to the entranceway. Because did I mention it's no count out, no disqualification, lazy booking. Shirt on sale at jimcornette.com, Saturday, November 19th at noon Eastern. And then Dino was going to go to chokeslam Pockets off the stage through a table. But Jungle Boy came out on the stage with a chair and hit Dino with it, and he dropped pockets, and then Jungle Boy ran and cross-bodied Dino off the stage, and they both went through a table. They just broke a table two minutes that the big goof killed his own fucking bump. Can you imagine? He did it himself. He choke slammed a guy through a table two minutes before he goes through a table. He killed his own fucking bump. Could you imagine if somebody was trying to set that match up? And they said, okay, and then you choke slam him through the table, and then you two fight up the fucking ramp, and then the other guy's gonna come out and cross body you, and you're gonna go off stage through a table. The first thing the guy taking the fucking bump off the stage through a table would say is, wait a minute. Then I ain't going to put him through the fucking table because it's going to kill my fucking bump. I'm going to not only be, ch I'm just choke slamming him, but I'm going to go off the goddamn stage. It's going to be a big deal. We're not going to fucking kill my bump. I might get hurt doing this. How stupid would I be to choke slam a motherfucker through the, It's like, and I, I don't even think I mentioned this, but in the earlier segment, what I was going to say is I know where they were going with Jeff Jarrett being coming in to be a surprise when they did the reveal that was a fucking fart in church with the guy that nobody knew who the fuck he was because they justified in their mind, but then the big star comes in and they'll really go crazy. So they were thinking here, well, this may be just a choke slam through the table, but they're going to come off the stage through that table, you fucking idiots. Meanwhile, the match is still going on through all of this, with all these people not even involved in it. And as they go back to the ring, Pack brings Felix the hammer again. And Felix takes it and then throws it back, won't look at it, won't use it, won't fucking deal with Pack. And then Pockets punches Felix, one punch, 
and knocks him out. One, two, three. The same guy pockets earlier in the match gave a fucking DDT, spinning DDT to Felix, who landed straight on his fucking head, stuck like a fence post, and popped back up five seconds later doing moves. But one fucking punch from this buggy-whipped-armed fucking emaciated goddamn clown. One, two, three. And then here comes Pac and starts getting heat on pockets. And then says, where's the fucking hammer? Because he can't find the hammer that he brought. So he goes and gets the hammer they used to ring the bell and gets back in the ring. But before he can use the bell hammer, more music plays, which sounded like Muzak in a funeral home. It wasn't exactly goddamn a Springsteen anthem. I don't know what the fuck, where they got this instrumental. And here comes a Japanese guy in a t-shirt and sweatpants. What the, and <laughs> the announcers are trying to, oh my God, it's Shibuti. Shibuti, Shibuti, Shibuti. Shibata. Whatever. It's another Japanese guy dressed in t-shirt and sweatpants. Every time they bring out a surprise guy from New Japan Pro Wrestling, he's got the same haircut, wearing a t-shirt and sweatpants. And the announcers are going crazy. But then out comes Rocky Romero and Trent and Muffin Top Taylor. And then the crowd kind of starts cheering because at least they know who those people are. And they come down the fucking ramp and pack leaves the ring and then shibuti points at pockets his belt and pockets hands him a contract and a pin and he signs it and they stare at each other there's been so much happened in the last five minutes they've they've made a match between two people after they've just done three angles for three other different goddamn death grudges that i've even forgot who the fuck was involved in this thing what the fuck <laughs> what in the god's name is going on here why are you laughing at me i'm, I'm laughing because you're not wrong. perplexed puzzled bum puzzled <laughs> verklempt this was one of the worst episodes if not the single worst episode of dynamite this was the episode i was like i hate aew i don't want to watch anymore shibata you know who shibata is shibata was a very talented young japanese wrestler who worked a stiff style and ended up doing the headbutt spot and having issues with his head. Oh, wait, no, is he the guy they thought he was going to die and never wrestle again? He was that guy that in the Observer, it famously was reported that they removed his brain. <laughs> Why? What? <laughs> wait, can you do that? We talked about that, it. Wait, oh, that's, that's right. You can't do that. No, you can't remove. That's not how you fix these problems. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what caused Dave problems. <laughs> but yeah, he's a but talented no, guy no, that's I'm never been. On... To, if this guy's come back from the brink of grim death, I'm not trying to knock him, but he, it, they brought him out on television just wearing a goddamn parking attendance outfit. Like everybody would know. Oh my God, look, it's fucking Liberace. I don't know. What the fuck? Do you think athletes should wear a suit? Well, <laughs> I, it depends on the circumstances. Yeah, some guys look great in suits like the Hurt Business did when they're not in their gear. 
Or some guys look like stars without Stone Cold Steve Austin. You ever seen him in a suit in his life? He looks like a star, but these guys from New Japan, they cut and they're in a big building and, and they're they're not even maybe sometimes they put their name up on a fuck on the screen so people might have a clue, but you can't just see who these fucking people are, you know, instantly when they're all just dressed like goddamn schlubs that just wander in same expression same haircut same basic size it, he assumes everybody knows who everybody in the world is and so anyway the, 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 now we're going to get this guy against pockets if he was somebody would they be bringing him in and putting him with the fucking mascot it, was it worth the plane ticket for this well the public, well, we see him as the mascot. To them, he's one of their top superstars. Well, they're not allowed to use the word superstar, are they? One of their top wrestling stars. Can they use superstars or WWE owns that, right? I think it, actually in a wrestling application, I mean, you can say he's a superstar in the world of you know, women's golf or whatever. I guess and it wouldn't be. He's a superstar in the world of women's golf. It That'd could probably... be with pockets. You don't know. Well, you never know. Um... So then Tony Schiavone was back in the back with Swerve Strickland and Rick Ross. Apparently Rick Ross is another rapper that somebody in AEW knows. Do, does anybody there know anybody in Nashville, any country musicians? What about, can we get somebody from hey. the Bluegrass Boys in there? What about the Bluegrass goddamn, Boys? Well, you know, I'm just thinking some <laughs> other genre. Maybe maybe a Broadway big band. What, who, what what's Glenn Miller's grandson doing? Broadway. These I don't know if I'd go in Nashville. Nashville kind of sucks. I don't know if you've listened to any country music in the last 10, 15, 20 I'm years. I'm not even a country music fan, but at least you can actually group it as music instead of rap. Yes, it's glam country. It's terrifically bad. Well, that's why I mentioned bluegrass. Going back to our roots, getting back to the to the old days, the 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 pioneer stuff. Anyway, so Swerve and Rick, Rick is there and wants to help Swerve be the best wrestler and the world's biggest recording star. I he he's got an uphill road to be the best wrestler, but I'd concentrate on that before I'd attempt to make him the world's greatest recording star. But then Keith Lee comes in. I know you're going to be heartbroken to hear this, Brian, but there are God, there's trouble in paradise. Already this, this team, they're not getting along because now Keith is taking Swerve to task for cheating. Rick and Swerve want to keep it positive. Keith is mentioning the things that Swerve has done that he, you know, and by the way, here's something. Last Friday night, we saw Swerve Strickland cut Billy Gunn. We didn't see it, but we were led to believe that he had cut one of Billy Gunn's fingers off with a pair of pliers. Oh, yeah, he kidnapped him. I forgot about that. He kidnapped him, tied him, <laughs> kidnapped, tied up, taken away, and held for ransom. And apparently they paid it because by Wednesday, Billy's in the ring with all of his appendages, even the ones we can't see through his clothes, and he's happy as a clam because he's having his birthday party. How'd he get loose? Did the police intervene? But if, now, if they did, how is Swerve on the loose? Swerve should have been, well, you know, he's he on filmed the, it. He's on a work release program. So that's why he's hanging out with Rick Ross. And then what sense does this make? 
So anyway, uh, so Keith Lee and Swerve are obviously going to break up in the near future, but in the meantime, next week, it's Keith Lee and Swerve and the Ass Boys against a claimed an FTR in an eight-man tag. It's a fucking rib. Let's give one positive. Rick Ross could cut a hell of a promo. He's he really was the good. best one. I wonder if he can wrestle. Can't be any worse than old Action Jackson was. Or what was his name? Then came Bronson. Who are you talking about? Oh, remember Action Bronson. I was thinking Action Jackson, but oh. he was a good wrestler. And then came Bronson was an old TV show from the 60s. A guy rode a motorcycle just around the country. He was a, a wanderer, just free-balling on a motorcycle around the, the country, getting into different misadventures. Then came Bronson. I was like, what did Perry Jackson do to Jim? <laughs> I don't know about. Anyway, action Bronson. and Yeah, all right. Uh, here we go. The match we've all been waiting for, ladies and gentlemen, Jane Cargill and Marina Schaefer. And when they announced this, especially it was going to be on live TV, I said, okay, we, we must watch because this, this could be historic. And I... I'm pissed off that they figured out a way. <laughs> I've never seen this before, but they figured out a way to have this match on live television and still not get kicked off the air. They just didn't show it. They had the match, but the only time they put a camera on it was basically when the girls weren't touching each other. As soon as the bell rings, out comes Vicky Guerrero on a stage with the microphone. Excuse me! Excuse me! And then she's with Nyla Rose, who had stolen Jane Cargill's belt. So now you've got Jane Cargill wrestling Marina Schaefer with Vicky Guerrero and Nyla Rose, who stole the belt on the stage. Who are the baby faces here? Who are we supposed to cheer for? Or at some point, are we just supposed to cheer for it to be over? So... Nyla Rose starts talking and doing commentary on the match while the match starts. And Jane takes Marina in the corner and just repeatedly kicks her and hits her over and over in the same place while Nyla is talking and the camera is going back and forth from the ring to the promo. At first they did a split screen and then I think they realized, wait a minute, we need to get the camera off the ring. Because then Jane and Marina went to the floor and Jane is like awkwardly pushing Marina around like she's trying to remind her she's supposed to do something. And then Marina tried to come back on the floor, but it looks so bad they cut back to the promo. And then at some point, Jane rolled Marina back in the ring and started walking toward Nyla Rose, but Marina was in the ring selling like she was being tasered. Did you see that with her arm up in the... She was selling her back, but she was selling it like she was receiving electric shocks. And Jane went up the ramp to get to Nyla Rose, but Nyla Rose reminded her that she's going to get counted out, so she just turned around and ran back to the ring. And she gets in the ring. Marina fucks up some kind of roll-up, and Jane hits a pump kick, and her finish, one, two, three. So this whole thing went like a minute and a half and the camera 
was literally on the promo on the stage more than any contact in the ring, which was obviously by design. But then they'd kept the camera on the stage <laughs> through the whole goddamn match. So as soon as the match is over with, on the stage, Kiera Hogan comes out and tries to grab the belt away from Nyla Rose, but Nyla Rose jerks it back and runs off and knocks Kiera Hogan down, and the camera missed that. The announcers had to cover it afterwards. And then Jane comes up to the stage and yells at Kiera Hogan for not stealing her belt back. And then they walked off. This made television. Hello? Yeah, I don't know what you want me to say. The AEW women's division. Everyone knows the reality of it. At this point, everyone wants to pretend that this should be on this show. That you have the caliber of top-notch women's wrestlers who should be on national TV for a segment that may or may not go past a commercial break, including picture-in-picture. The whole division is a mess. The booking of it's a mess. The amount of women who don't have any fundamentals but are on TV wrestling, there's only so much an agent can do if this is what they're handed. You know what I mean? Like, there's only so oh, much... Oh, I, I, was, I was the agent for that Linda Miles match in OVW that time. And I know what I got. Sometimes, you know, it, when the bell rings, it's up to them. The Kiara Hogan thing, I didn't know who was on the ground. I was like, what the hell's happening back there? <laughs> the announcers covered it because it happened to the, it happened right next to them. At least they saw it. Hey, can I uh, say something about something earlier that I didn't get a chance to say? I didn't like the Ian Riccoboni thing. You know, we just oh, talked no. about the idea that you don't beat up the announcer, but even if you were going to, if you want to get Jericho over, I get he is the Ring of Honor guy, but he's been heard on AEW TV a few times and seen even less. So what did you really do there? And now he's going to be seen on TV again when? You're just going to forget that he got beat up by Jericho? So I'm, I was against that. I didn't want to say that because I didn't say it earlier. Well, it was just a throwaway thing that was done to be a transition incident to lead to a run-in when if it was done properly and focused on with an announcer that everyone really cared about and because they had been around for a while and etc then it would mean something but they just throw it away and do it at the you know the wrong time and then now the edge is off doing anything with any announcer ever even when it might be designed to draw money speaking of something that was designed to draw money the burial of the house of black they had a spooky video I, that was a voiceover, a fellow with a British accent. I don't understand what the fuck was being talked about or what was being said. I know they were English words. I've heard them, just never in that order before. It's inexplicable spookiness from the mind or lack thereof of the House of Black, but it looked like Julia Hart was burying all the other ones. And between that and Julia Hart looking like Stevie Nicks, which is always a good thing, I like this video. Have we buried the House of Black and is is Julia Hart now going to be Stevie Hart? Please say yes to both. I think it's no and no. I no. didn't like this video. After what we've just seen with Bray Wyatt and Uncle Howdy, this is a <laughs> low-budget Bray Wyatt now. As, but it, but if it means we don't ever have to look at the House of Black again and we get to oh, see Julia Hart just wander around dressed like Stevie Nicks, I'm for it. 
You know that's not going to be it. That would be amazing if Tony why said. You, why, why were they burying all of them then? Literally in a graveyard, burying them. If Tony said, I'll let you out of your contract if you let me do a video where you get buried and Julia Hart walks off just like Stevie Nicks, that would be interesting, but I think they're yes. coming back. Uh, well, in that case, I don't know if I like that video. All right. Let's get to the main event. For the Ring of Honor World Television title, Samoa Joe versus Brian Cage with Prince Nana. And again, they're in Baltimore, and half the show was Ring of Honor, and I have to think that those people are sitting there going, God, the shows that we used to see from Ring of Honor were so much better. And at least at this point now, nobody can argue that's not true. Anybody that went to a Ring of Honor TV taping in Baltimore back in the day versus this, and there's no question, this was a stinky show. So honestly, it, it wasn't a goddamn accomplishment beating this show but it regularly happened and i love samoa joe and he can make any match either palatable or better or great depending on the opponent but jesus christ again everybody knows by now what they've got with cage he's fucking rotten and he's apparently one of these guys that you can't teach because he won't listen and so they they only left him about 12 or 15 minutes for this, but my God, you know, Joe tries with everybody, but this fucking guy, he shades of Bracus. I wrote at one point. Yeah, do you notice the physical resemblance in the muscle-bound robotic movements of Bracus and Brian Cage? Well, I didn't get to see enough Bracus to say. I, I saw a bit of Bracus. I I saw Bracus before breakfast. Why have, have, have we heard Prince Nana ever speak yet? I think there was a, like a video package summing up something he was involved with where you heard him talk like while music was playing or something. Maybe. Yeah. So they got a manager out there in a title match. We've ne they've never let talk on the television program. He just showed up because Tully quit and Nana fits better in, in this environment anyway with younger guys and etc but what is he there to do he doesn't interfere he doesn't talk is it you know what is is he there taking the fucking you know valet parking tickets what's going um at one point um cage's weak and awkward kicks reminded me of tom mcgee did you see the part where he threw three fake kicks and then a jump up sp spin around yeah the jump bale kick. of cotton that was the best part what that was the best part. It was like Tom McGee in the classic match with Wajima. Then Brian Cage, here's how stupid he is. Here is how clueless he is. He did a 619. He looks like Lex Luger and tries to wrestle like Rey Mysterio. Fucking idiot. I'd, I, You know what? I would love if he had been around the last time that I was in a booking position i would have loved to have hired him just to have the privilege of firing him so then cage tried a pump handle deal and dropped joe right on his fucking face almost his head and then joe got up and <laughs> very quickly after that got a rear naked choke and tapped cage out and immediately here came the gates of agony to attack Joe. Of course, that's the other Ring of Honor guys that we have never seen wrestle and only jump in to get heat on people. 
I said they were two fat Samoans. Now, apparently one guy's black and the other guy's Samoan. But their names are... They're not fat either. Well, you know, but he's all covered up and whatever the fuck. Uh, But apparently the announcer said their names are Bishop Kong and Tia Leone, I think. Tia Leone? Isn't that David Duchovny's wife? Well, that's that's what the announcer said. Bishop Kong, I guess he's... The cousin of Donkey Kong, I don't know. <laughs> and Tia Leone is what I heard. And then they played more music, and here came Wardlow out carrying his belt. And because there's one guy coming out, a whole three of these giant heels and their manager bail out with no contact. And but while Wardlow is checking on Joe, Powerhouse Hobbs comes in. And hits a spine buster on Wardlow. And at that point, my DVR froze. So again, who's mad at who here? Who's on whose side? What the fuck is going on? And again, they they are somehow managing to both use and bury Samoa Joe and Powerhouse Hobbs at the same time. And Wardlow. What the fuck is going on? What's going on is the show is getting booked into being an unwatchable mess. If you made it to the last segment, I was about to say you're lucky, but you're probably unlucky. <laughs> this is a bad show, and I like Samoa Joe. He's done nothing. They just all of a sudden throw him out there. He's friends with Wardlow, probably so he could just break up with him and have a match with him. But there's other ways to do that. I don't know. I hate, I hate this show so much right now. There was no MJF. CM Punk's long gone. FTR's used like crap. Ricky Starks hasn't been around for a little while. No one is being used well. And then there's so many well, guys. Is Hobbs, Hobbs comes in and lays Wardlow out. Is he going to be associated with the group of heels that was in the ring previously? Or is he has he gone rogue and he's going into business for himself? I know these are questions. And that's good. Oh, leave more questions. Well, the problem is, I bet we're not going to get many answers. And... <laughs> As well, if you're grouping Hobbs already with Brian Cage and Bishop Kong and Tia Leone and Prince Nana, then I w- what what were the ratings? Now, go ahead and surprise me. Where did they start and where did they finish up? I am pulling them up right now. The overall rating was 910,000 viewers. Ooh, and that is significantly down from the past few weeks as an overall number. But now, if if that was the case, then certainly they didn't do what they did a week or two ago and lose about 400000 from start to finish, or they would have had to start at $1.5 to come up with that. What, where'd they start? Well, they began first quarter which was Jay Lethal versus Darby Allen and Jeff Jarrett's appearance at 1,091,000 viewers. Okay, and I, I predicted that they would leave shortly after that first five-minute segment, but at least the first 15 minutes, they had over a million. Well, quarter two was John Moxley versus Lee Moriarty, 968,000 viewers. Okay, so after that, they lost 123,000 people from that first match. The end of that match, the post-match, and then Renee Paquette interviewing Soraya did 901,000 viewers. 
And they lost another 67,000, so that makes uh, 9,989, I believe, thousand from the start of the show. The segment with the acclaimed and Billy Gunn having a party and then all the tag teams and everything afterwards, as well as the Britt Baker interview and the Chris Jericho promo, did 1,020,000 viewers. Whoa! So... They come back up another 120000 and you know Jericho's going to be all over that, taking some credit for it. Well, I think the acclaimed in Billy Gunn, as much as I didn't like that segment because it's not what I like, I think that's who gets the credit for that. I didn't say who gets it or should get it. I said who's going to be taking it. Go ahead. The next segment, which is the 9 o'clock hour, Chris Jericho versus Colt Cabana did 880,000 views. Whoa! So they lost 140,000 people after the birthday celebration for the Ring of Honor world title match and the return to national television of Boom Boom. Well, following Boom Boom, Orange Cassidy versus Luchasaurus versus Phoenix with the debut of Shibata did 800... Shibuti, Shibuti. No, it's Shibata, and it did 882,000 viewers. So basically, uh, the extra 2,000 people wandered in. We then had the segment with Swerve Strickland talking with Rick Ross and Keith Lee, as well as Jay Cargill versus Marina Shafir in the background while Naga Rose does some stand-up. That did 802,000 viewers. Ooh, another 80,000 down. So they have, they started out with 1,091,000, and they lost... Almost 200,000 of those until the fourth quarter when they got most of them back. And then what they saw in quarter five drove all away and more. And now they've lost another 80,000 on top of that. So they are down almost 300,000 from the start of the program. Well, the final quarter of the show, Jim. Samoa Joe versus Brian Cage for the Ring of Honor TV title. 738,000 viewers. Oh, boy. Well, and again, it's it's not Joe's fault. It might be Cage's fault, but it's not Joe's fault, and it's not even Ring of Honor's fault. Ring of Honor. I'm not wanting to see the demise of Ring of Honor. I'm the one that kept them in business. Oh, long ago. But you can't, when you've got a promotion on television like AEW that was already starting to show some cracks in the seams when Ring of Honor came along and now is full-blown imploded over the last fucking two or three months, you can't spend your entire time on television trying to get another promotion over on the television show that is supposed to be about trying to save your existing promotion. And there are 353,000 people that decided from the start of the program to the finish, fuck this. And I even, I mean, when we would get the local ratings in Louisville here, just the local ratings for OVW television, and we were on 11 to midnight, we didn't lose people like in, in, in percentages like that to sleep at midnight. What about, the, 
What about the argument that the World Series was taking place? Wasn't it taking place through the whole goddamn show? Well, it was taking, there was a team no-hitter taking place that people may have wanted to see. I don't know if that would take a big dent out of the wrestling audience, but it was okay, happening. Okay, what, I, I can't do this math in my head and I can't reach a calculator. What percentage is 353,000 of a million and 91,000? I'm saying it's it's close to 33% just by doing off top of my head business somewhere around 30 32 what would be happening short of goddamn nuclear fire showers outside of people's homes that would cause a program to lose a third of its audience in over 2 hours lack of star power lack of good booking lack of angles or people that you care about if you watch that show or have tuned in or just flicked by. All right. You didn't have to come up with several different fucking valid answers to that question. Oh, I'm flicking by. It's nine o'clock. Oh, there's Chris Jericho. Who's he going to wrestle? I don't know who this fucking guy is. I've never seen him on my TV before. I'll just turn the channel. And I'm not even saying that as a shot at Cole Cabana. There's a lot of guys you could say that about that are actually on the roster there. That they're on this show. They're interacting with main eventers. And it's being forced. And it's not, I mean, this was the ultimate of being forced. This is the ultimate pettiness is what this was. But it doesn't make people want to see the show. It may make the Young Bucks locker room happy, which is different than the overall locker room. Let's just also clarify that. CM Punk has a locker room. The Young Bucks and their buddies are in their room too. Well, and, well, and here's the thing is now they think that, okay, we won this little power play in their minds. So now everybody's going to be scared of us and they're either going to join our little merry band of misfits or they're going to keep their pie hole shut. And then, and it may come to pass that they never get another legitimate recognized mainstream star to come in that company. That may be the situation that comes from this, but if they do, if they do at some point get another big star that's not of the temperament of a Brian Danielson and just wants to wrestle and not make waves and likes everybody and friend of furry woodland creatures, but another guy who's going to want to do business and take care of his career at least, if not help the whole company, and they're going to have this same shit go on again. Then maybe again, fucking Bucks will get taken down and have their fucking eyes blacked and their goddamn pride hurt i mean it's the same thing week after week it's not the world series people keep tuning out there was the one week i think it was moxley versus jericho where they stayed to the end because that was that was maybe the main event match in AEW right now if it doesn't have mjf in it those two other than that every single week nothing's holding this audience and and you can say hey maybe they're in over their head maybe they've got a program that's a lead into them that is has more viewers than they're ever going to get on a regular basis and is more popular with the mainstream but that would indicate that then after the first 15 minutes or so if it was a good television program standing on its own approximately the same number of people or more would be there through the rest of the program instead of continuing to drop every 15 minutes almost all the way through the thing. As we've talked about, that's something that never happened in the days of Raw, or I don't think still happens with Raw, and I don't think still happens with SmackDown. There's variation, there's up and downs through the quarter hours, there always is, and there were 
there used to be 20 years ago swings of many more viewers from quarter hour to quarter hour, even in Raw. But that's because they were starting with numbers that were so much bigger. If they would, at, at some points, losing five or 600,000 viewers in a quarter was percentage wise not that big of a deal when you were starting with six or seven million or whatever. So this is not only wide swings, but wide percentages. And the other thing is, and I said it earlier, there has to be a hard discussion about the women's division. I know that the hardcore fan who loves all wrestling is on Twitter, and they love whatever you do with the women. Whatever it is, they'll love it. But it's driving people away from the show, and it's not good. If you want to look at it in terms of a critical eye, the booking's not good, the matches typically are not good, people get hurt, people look like they're about to get hurt. And then the other half of it is it drives people away from the show. I mean, I hate to say just put them on Dynamite or on Rampage because I think even that show's numbers, which are abysmal, would drop lower. Because I think the hard... <laughs> as, as Jerry Jarrett said that time to Robert Fuller, Robert, it can't get any worse. And Robert said, oh, yes, it can. But that's the thing. If the women's division actually hurts the product and hurts the show, can you have the discussion about the idea of doing something else with it so it's not eating up Dynamite? Can you have the discussion about not doing it? Everybody in the world that wants to be a professional wrestler doesn't necessarily have to get to be. Just like everybody that wants to be a rock star or a double-knot spy, whatever, doesn't necessarily get to be. And they've, they've given it to a lot of people. And maybe they ought to just let some contracts expire and then figure, okay, Britt Baker can talk her ass off. Let's put her with the top heel group as a Sherry Martell. And there you go. She doesn't have to wrestle every week. And she'd make more money and probably add more to the program. Stop breaking her nose. Stop And stop breaking her face. And Soraya, she's a name. Well, let's let her fucking do interviews. So she doesn't break her neck again. I don't think that... Well, okay, I get the point. Well, you know, whatever, it it doesn't have to be... You can be a part of the television program without actually getting dropped on your head on a regular basis, but they don't have to have a women's division. Again, everybody tries to copy the, the industry leader, the WWE, and now they want to make... You know, you can't afford a women's division. There's not enough good women's talent. Then you just muck up the card. And it's just simply to act like you're going to be one of those cool promotions to give all the girls a chance also. Well, the girls can have a chance. You're not preventing them from wrestling anywhere. You're just saying, I ain't got enough good guy wrestlers. I especially don't have enough good girl wrestlers, and I'm going to goddamn limit my budget, and we're going to concentrate on what sells the fucking tickets. And what sells the tickets ultimately is the guys on top, not even the guys on the bottom, much less the girls anywhere. So prioritize, people. Well, I'll tell you what, AEW Wednesday night may have not been a masterwork, but I know how you can get a piece of one. You know, Brian, 
The stock market's all over the place. You can't trust any investments. Precious metals, even collector plates, are going down these days. But you know what never goes down? The great masterworks, the great works of art, of human history, the showcases of, of human talent that are timeless and never go out of style and they never go broke. They always appreciate even the, the, the Rembrandts, the Van Goghs, the Picassos, the Monats, all of them. Monet and even some of the newer artists like a Warhol or a Basquiat, of course. Well, yes. And, you know, Warhol, when he's not teaming up with Samoa Joe, he's doing some fine work. <laughs> that's not Warhol. That's and Ward Joe. That's Ward Lowe. Excuse me. Ward, Ward Lowe. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. But all those wars, they're, 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 they're all appreciating. And, folks, our friends at Masterworks can tell you how to make some money as well in this. Because, you know, before I was mistaken, Brian, when I, when I first heard that Masterworks allowed you to to get a piece of fine art, I thought, you know, they were going to sell you like a three or four inch section, like uh, the Mona Lisa's nose or something like that. I told you but that I wasn't, just, no. Well, you informed me that was not the case. You actually get a share in a complete work of art because you can't afford the whole thing unless you're goddamn Elon Musk or whatever. You know, that sounds like some kind of stinky cologne. But anyway, so you get a piece. Of a of a fine artwork. And every time that the crack team of international art thieves at Masterworks breaks into a museum across the world. No, they're and not steals art thieves. one of these. No. No. No, you mean they, they actually <laughs> obtain them legally. They're not art thieves. They don't break into any famous museums anywhere in the world. These are all legally obtained, legally owned pieces of art. Yes. I just like to hear you say the word museum, but it was so, so they're legally obtained. That's right. Well, in that case, then, you know, it's even a better deal because now not only do you not have to buy the Mona Lisa's nose and worry about somebody may want another piece of her anatomy, but also these things are legally obtained. So that means that every time that the fine folks at Masterworks send their sales crew out to do some under-the-table negotiations out of the trunk of a car and pawn one of these things off, well, then in that case, you're going to share in it. Now, you're not trying to tell me that's all above board, too, are you? Where they actually advertise these sales and sell it right out in front of people? Once again, no one said anything. And there certainly isn't anything in the copy about selling art out of a trunk, and that won't be happening here. This is all legally obtained works of art from around the world, from throughout time, that you can own a piece of. What a wonderful investment opportunity. So you mean to tell me, Brian, that you can actually legally and above board obtain a share of ownership in a fine piece of work of art, and when these are sold totally above board, you will receive the proceeds are commensurate with your share. Well, this is incredible. How are people not jumping on this? I mean, look at these numbers. They just had a sale three weeks ago, 21.5% net return. That means if you'd put in $10,000, you would get $12,000 back. Boom. Just like that. 20% on six out of the seven sales that they've had so far. Why? 
in the world would somebody not want to do something like this? Can you explain that to me? I think all those people that sit at home and think about putting on their own wrestling show and they're going to put a few grand into that and lose all their money and look like fools and put on an embarrassing showcase of fools, why don't you take that money and put it in Masterworks? Well, there you go. And all you've got to do, because we know people, all you've got to do to not only sign up but get up to $200 in free shares is go to masterworks.art slash gym. And that will take you right to where you'll learn about your free shares. Masterworks.art slash Jim. You can get up to $200 of free shares in the Mona Lisa's left boob or whatever. Because in the Mona Lisa. And maybe even the Mona Lisa entirely or maybe even Papa Lisa. You never know. Uh, who was the whole Lisa family? Do we know how many relatives Mona had? You're assuming Lisa's her last name? Well, Mona Lisa. Her first name would be Mona, last name would be Lisa. What could be her middle name? Well, I'll tell you the full name, masterworks.art slash Jim. That's right, our friends at Masterworks. Everyone should definitely check that out, but I think we have other works of art to talk about right now, Jim. Well, as, as people used to say, we got real pieces of work to talk about. It has been very popular over the last couple of weeks when we went through the AEW men's roster and decided who should I stay or should I go, uh, in Joe Strummer's immortal words. And we, we did, t they're on YouTube, by the way. We're not going to go through that whole thing again uh, here on this particular episode because you can go to the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel and we did two parts A through I think M and then N the re N then the rest of the alphabet uh and it's up on YouTube that was the men's roster and people uh, have reacted to this because a lot of people have tweeted me and said shit like we didn't know there was 150 something fucking we went through a shitload of names and there was a lot of, when you just sit down and start looking at it, that's a lot of mouths to feed. So I think altogether, there's at least over 200 names on the roster. And uh, now, is that counting the, the women or is that just the, the men? I'm not I've sure. Count here. I've got three pages of notes and two columns on some of them. But nevertheless, if you want to know the men, and we're, we're going to pare this down even further as we go with this exercise over the course of the programs. But if you want to know the men that we said we'd keep or dump or qualifications to one of those two things, then go to YouTube. But we, because of the feedback before it goes on too long, because people, people don't ever get fired there, but they kind of disappear and or cut. They come in quicker than they ever leave. I'll tell you that it's like a roach motel. Or the Hotel California. You can check out anytime you like, but you'll never leave. So while the, the iron is hot, we're going to talk about the female roster and get all this down and then try to polish that a little bit on a future program. Is that correct? I believe that is correct. This is your show. Well, I'm just trying to get you to agree with me while I get a piece of paper out. All right, you have... Sounds like you're wrestling the paper. I'm... I'm, I'm Getting it in the goddamn right place. <laughs> it's got to be slanted correctly. You have in front of you, do you not, the female roster in AEW? 
I have what they have on their website as the female roster. And let me just say, because I went through some of the names earlier just to look at it, there were a few people I thought of that weren't there. So even, I guess there were still women that aren't on their page or just maybe not officially part of the roster, maybe not officially under contract. I don't know, but we'll talk about that. Well, and we noticed with the men also, we went with the roster page that's on the website and apparently that is supposedly all the contract talent but if if guys are there per night but they're there on all the tv tapings you know they only run one show a week and they're getting paid then that kind of qualifies for being on the roster but nevertheless where we start here sounds like the world's largest traveling party but let's go to the roster here let's start with the champions Uh uh-oh the aew women's champion is Thunder Rosa, and the AEW Interim Women's World Champion is Tony Storm. Okay, well, this is easy. We w- You would keep Tony Storm. Tony Storm is an attractive young lady, and she is competent in the ring, and she seems to be fairly well-spoken when they give her a chance, and she has something to say. She's young, so I, I think, would you concur with that? We're going to keep Miss Storm? Based on all the AEW TV I've watched lately, out of everyone in that division, she's definitely one of the people I would keep. I think she's one of the better in-ring women there, and I think she stands out. She's really good. So I would keep her. I agree. And Thunder Rosa, I know she's taken all kinds of abuse from uh, the, uh, the, the other, one of the other women's cliques. I'm not sure uh, on, on the women's side who's on whose side like we are on the men's side, but... Uh, but she's still, she's talented, and she can wrestle, and she always seemed to be fairly serious about her business, and I would keep Thunder Rosa. You going to argue with me on that one? Okay, I, I didn't know I had to go back and forth with you, but I'll say I think Thunder Rosa is one of the more enjoyable women to watch in the ring. She's got fire in what she does. I like her in the ring. However, if you're asking me if I'm Tony Khan, if I'm the one running this thing, I'm the one, I'm the booker going through the roster, whatever. Yeah. I don't keep her because really, it's too much drama. And I know there are cliques of women there. But beyond that, a lot of the other people in the locker room seem to think the same thing. So Mm. I don't know. And I'm not trying to take sides or anything. I just know what I hear from people who are not part of the women's cliques. Yeah, because you don't talk to that many women. Excuse me, who are you talking to? Well, you live with like five of them, so I guess, yeah, that does count. But I think that may cause me to reconsider Thunder Rosa. If there are issues, look, if she refused to drop the belt, or if an entire scenario was made so she didn't have to drop the belt for a while, which was the creation of the interim championship and Tony Storm, who's been good in the role, Despite the women's division's many problems, she's been good. I don't know. There may be a Thunder Rosa problem. And oh, maybe maybe I... I'm wrong, but you're asking me to pick a roster, and I need a roster to get along. Well, in that case, we might put a question mark down beside Rosa and come back later on. The AEW TBS champion is Jade Cargill. You know, I would keep Jane. For all of the time and effort that they've put into her, and she she has a striking look, and 
after the inaugural few weeks of, you know, where it was Plan 9 from outer space level entertainment, she has certainly been one of the the projects they've had that, and she's the only person that actually is undefeated, I think, and only person that they've given wins to on television and a normal wrestling push. So I would definitely keep her on the roster because she, she can't get worse than she was when she started. So she's been getting better. Let's now go to the main roster. Hey, can you wait a minute? That's that the, there's only three women's champions. There's only three well, there was like 27 men's champions. Well, there's only three women's champions listed at the top of the page with the other top men's champions. Okay. Let's now go to the roster in alphabetical order. A Kenny Omega favorite, the living dead girl, Abaddon. Oh, how quickly can we bury her? You know, there should there used to be a law that after somebody died, you had to bury him in a certain amount of time because of health concerns and smell issues. If she's been dead all this time, somebody needs to go ahead and start digging. The Queen Slayer, Anna Jay of the Jericho Appreciation Society. Oh boy. Um she's a pretty girl, and if you know there's some reason for her to be at ringside in a group or whatever, I'd but uh, I mean if we're talking about keeping a women's wrestling roster here, no, for heaven's sake. Really? I'm surprised by that because she's very young, she's athletic. She's in good shape. She does look nice for all the fans of superficial things out there. <laughs> I have to think because she's young and hasn't been too jaded by the business. If you are going to have a women's division, she's the kind of person you could work with and she may become something. Well, but here's the thing. Are we having a women's division or are we picking the developmental roster? Because on the, the men's side, we kept people that for the most part you can put on the card right now and or there in a few cases i'm looking at seeing you know a few people that we said well if they'd listen and learn and uh you know could be coached and trained the mark quinns of the world and etc so you know how many of these green girls that are only there to cuz they're pretty and to hang out in a group of they got 18 million groups. How many of those do we keep as projects for the future? If you're keeping any, I think she has to be one of them. So you're going to argue with me all the way through. All right, God damn it. Can you, na can you name the last match that she had? No. <laughs> I don't think even the biggest Anna Jay fan can. I'll keep Anna Jay because Brian likes her. Well, Jim, let's move from Anna Jay, who I would keep. To another young lady who I remember we saw, but I don't remember if her name was Aqua or AQA. It's AQA. I don't know if it's just the initials. I don't remember. Or if you're supposed to pronounce them as a word. I, I remember that odd name or spelling from about a year and a half ago. Have we ever seen her since? It says she, she's four and one. Uh, five and two overall in 2022. <laughs> Okay, I, I think we can pass on Aqua. Would you pass on Athena? Oh, yeah. Um, I would, yes, I would ask everyone to help her carry her bags to the car so that she wouldn't plant her satchel ass on any of the talent's faces that I intend to keep and put them out of commission again. 
Okay, what about the doctor, Britt Baker, DMD? Obviously, keep her. Again, we don't know who the girls are hooked up with and what cliques they're involved with over on the men's side or wherever, but she started with the company. She's not Mildred Burke, for heaven's sake, but she can work. She's attractive. She cuts a great promo, and they got tons of time in her. And the people respond to her. Yes, definitely, she's on the roster. Is the bunny on the roster? I didn't know the bunny was still on the roster. Uh, no, I don't, I don't remember any, any classic bunny segments. I think we can do without bunny. She kind of looks when she wrestles like Stacy Keebler did with those long legs. I saw Stacy Keebler throw a kick on Raw one night and in the early 2000s, and she got off balance and staggered backwards, almost fell backwards through the ropes trying to kick somebody. Well, Jim, would you kick Emmy Sakura off your roster? Oh, yes. She's the female Freddie Mercury, right? Although she does not have a mustache in this photo. So but they made her shave first. <laughs> this photo is sponsored by Manscaped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's in, in all seriousness. And I mean, you know where this is going to go. Emmy Sakura and all of the pretend wannabe Japanese Joshi princess wrestlers that Twinkle Toes has pawned off on Tony would not be on a serious female wrestling roster in the United States of America when we're dealing with professionals, not amateurs. Well, speaking of Kenny Omega and pawns, what about Hikaru Shida? There you go. Let's fucking send Hikaru with Emmy just in case they need help carrying their stuff. And I'll say this, she's the best one of the bunch of them. But her thing is she's the one that wants in every match, for whatever reason, she's going to go out on the floor, set a chair down, run and jump off the chair and do some damage to her opponent. And that's just tolerated in that environment. I kind of find her funny in the ring, so I like her for that reason. She makes me laugh. But let's go on with the roster here. Jamie Hayter. Jamie Hayter goes back with the keepers because they obviously are going to be able to get something. Well, I sh you ought to be able to get something out of Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter here down the road. And Jamie, as I know she's one of your favorites, Brian, and she's got size and she seems like she can work and et cetera, et cetera. So, yes. Here's someone who, when healthy, I would be intrigued by seeing her work with Jamie Hader, after she got a little more experience. More than a woman, Chris Statlander. Statlander, where is she? She got hurt again, didn't she? She hurt her knee. Yeah. Um, yeah, it would definitely. At first, she was the alien from the Andromeda Galaxy, and we couldn't take it seriously, and then she got hurt, and when she came back, she was from New York instead of Andromeda and stopped with the silliness and looked good and then got hurt again. So I would take her, uh, obviously, for her athleticism, her size, her look, and now she's being serious. We just have to worry. Is she, I don't want injury prone is not a nice thing to say because anybody can get hurt, but are her knees bad? Is this going to be a problem? That would be the only drawback I could see to, to Chris Statland. 
You know, my kids were watching a show on Netflix they watch. I think it's called uh, Floor is Lava, I think it is. And they had an AEW team where you have to like go through this little obstacle course and not fall into the lava. Okay. Is it real lava? No. You I was going to hope that maybe they sent pockets. They sent pockets <laughs> with Chuck Taylor, I believe. Oh, good and Lord. And Statlander. And I have to say, when I watched it with them, Statlander comes across like a star. So, I mean, there's something, there's something, she has a good look. She was getting better in the ring. We'll see what happens, and hopefully she's not injury prone. Here's a woman, I don't know if we've ever actually seen wrestle. The librarian, Leva Bates. Oh, good Lord, just on gimmick only, please get her out of here as quickly as possible. If she could wrestle, we'd have seen it. But she, she was a heck of a shusher. All shushers should be disqualified from any wrestling roster ever. Legit Layla Hirsch. Oh, good Lord. Now, if I'm thinking correctly, she's the one that... Did she have a real stinker, or am I thinking about something, somebody else? Does she suck? I thought she was okay. You didn't really like her. She was a shorter woman who I believe hurt her knee, I want to say, but she was more of a wrestler type, like a collegiate wrestler type almost in the ring. Oh, I, rem I remember, but she's like four foot six. I said, darling Dagmar. She's not that short, I don't believe, but shorter than the other women. <sighs> Somebody's going to say I'm not being fair. If I don't, I, well, let's put Layla Hirsch down with a question mark, like we need more information. What about Madison Rain, who was recently signed as, I believe, a coach and is also a wrestler? I, you know, I worked with her in TNA. She's a nice girl. I, you know, to be quite honest, I don't know how old she is at this point because she was in TNA 15 years ago. But I guess everybody was young back then. I don't know, honestly, not to hurt anybody's feelings, why she's a coach. Because I saw one of her, I know she had a match here a couple weeks ago on the show, and it was against one of the the green girls, but... Ty Conti. I, yes. It, uh, I, uh, Madison Rain, just because she's, she's got some experience, let's keep her. But I was shocked to hear coach. That, to me, would be someone of a, you know, a jazz level or a Victoria or a, you know, somebody who. You're speaking about in ring work. Level. You're speaking about yes. what they can deliver in the ring. Yes. What about the Ring of Honor Women's World Champion Mercedes Martinez? Is she still around? I didn't even realize that she's the Ring of Honor Women's World Champion. Okay. The only uh, Ring of Honor title you only, see Yeah, on the TV. only Ring of Honor title we haven't seen. A, yeah, Mercedes has always been good and serious and hard-hitting and et cetera. I would keep her on the roster, definitely. But same thing with Madison Rain. just is age a factor at this point if you're, you know, if you're trying to look to the future. But she's got plenty of experience that she hopefully could pass on to some of these other girls if they'd listen. What about the native beast? Nyla Rose. Wow. You know, I, I, let me just stop before we say anything, because I don't know if I've seen anyone else with this kind of number here. Her career AEW record is 79 and 33. 
Jesus Christ. Um, remember at the start of the, the series, when they first went on the air, I said, my God, there they had Nyla Rose bumping around and getting pinned and beaten and flummoxed and humiliated by Riho. And Britt Baker was a babyface at that point. And I said, if you look at Nyla Rose, you look at Britt Baker, you could have kind of recreated the dynamic of Gail Kim and Awesome Kong and TNA, which was one of the only good things in TNA at that time period. And at the same time, why not lean into and make a news story out of and get publicity out of Nyla Rose, should transgender athletes be allowed to compete in combat sports? And if sh if so, should there be weight divisions or whatever the case? It was a hot topic. It still is a hot topic in sports. They could have got all kinds of publicity and attention. And I guess they were afraid somebody might hurt Nyla Rose's feelings. Which is fine if you're a private citizen. You can be whatever gender you want to be, and I don't give a shit. But when you put yourself on television, you try to be a celebrity, and you're supposed to get over Use the shit. Don't have feelings. Feelings are for private citizens. Having said that, at this point now, no, at the start, I would have built the women's division around Nyla Rose as a heel and Britt Baker as a babyface. But right now, Nyla Rose has been there for three years. The bloom is off the rose, so to speak. She's been beaten and thrown around by everybody. And you can't do the same thing you could have. And again, Nyla Rose's work has not sucked. It's not been bad. But it's not like that it's, you know, goddamn Chigusa Nagayo level or whatever either. They should have used the size and the gimmick and the controversy. And Nyla Rose could have been a fucking magazine cover star. But at this point, Everybody's seen her get beat like a drum, and who gives a shit? And now you hardly ever see her, except when she steals the belt of the girl that they're pushing. So, I think, you know, maybe Nyla Rose would have to go away and learn a new hold. I don't think you could have gotten away with trying to make her a heel because of her being transgender. I think that would have backfired really bad. No, I didn't say make her a heel because she was transgender. The uh, no, she I, I, not because she was transgender, but she's also but transgender. So you wouldn't you wouldn't want to question necessarily would a babyface should a babyface should be allowed to compete? But if she's a heel and it doesn't have anything to do with her being transgender, but she's also a hundred pounds bigger than everybody else and uses dirty tactics and doesn't give a shit and has a surly personality. And then you can get some fucking controversy out of it. I think you'd get the bad controversy. You'd get the controversy that hurts the business. Oh, hurts good. your business. That's well, in saying. that case, then, let's just send her home to be working <laughs> a fucking cashier job at Thornton's gas station then. Or she could be a controversial goddamn star on magazine covers. Make a fortune. Jim, what about Paige Van Zant, Who has a career Ooh. record of 1-0, and oh, and that was in a trios match. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, she's gorgeous, but remember she had no 
it didn't seem like awareness of what the fuck was going on around her in wrestling. Remember? It was, a, it was a weird <laughs> series of events because she was with Lambert and they made a big deal about signing her to AEW. And then she had that one trios match and we never saw her again. Yeah, that Paige probably doesn't have the dedication to the business, apparently. So I think we got to let Paige be free and fly away. Jim, what about the bad girl, Penelope Ford? Okay, you apparently see something in her. Possibly you've seen her x-rays. I don't no, know what, what I see, see in, her, in her. What I see in her is this. If I'm going with, I'm going to have a women's division and I want good, talented women, and I want women that all don't look alike. I think Penelope Ford has a unique look. She's athletic. She's athletic, and, you know, I never know how much I should blame the women in the matches versus the agent or whoever let the things happen that happen, but she can do stuff. And again, if she had the right voice talking to her, telling her what to do, if she was used in a better manner, out of all the women on the roster, yeah, I'd keep Penelope Ford. Well, I, I, I tell you However, what. I wouldn't keep her if it meant I had to keep Kip Sabian. Oh, well, God, no. No, I would If it's a package I deal, I wouldn't do it. But if it was just I could sign her and I'm going to be serious about a women's division, I'd sign Penelope Ford, absolutely. I don't know if I'd keep Sherry Martell if I had to keep Kip Sabian. <laughs> and Sherry'd probably be right along with me. No, Corny, fucking dump me. It's not worth it. All right, I'll put Penelope Ford over here for right now. Now, she's listed on the women's roster. No 2022 matches, career one and nine, Rebel. Uh, well, Rebel is part of Brit's, you know, entourage. I wouldn't have her wrestle, but I would definitely have old Reba accompany Dr. Baker. Out of everything they've done with the women's division, one of the smartest things was putting her with Britt Baker. That's worked out well. You don't think I agree. So? Oh. I concur. Oh. No, that's why, that's why I just said I'd put her with Dr. Britt Baker. For heaven's sake. What about Red Velvet? Oh, again, a name from the distant past. Uh, as I remember, she was 82 pounds. I wouldn't um, say that. And she did. She had a career record of 0 and 174 for hitting the standing moonsault. Well, her career record is 51 and 24. Yeah, I'm talking about actually hitting her fucking move that she tried in every single match. Uh, no, nah, Red Velvet probably needs to... Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe we could change... I wonder if, if she's ever been felt. All right. Felt, change her name. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm laughing because of what you just said that I see the next name and I know where this is going to go. Jim, what about Riho? Her name is Riho, and she don't weigh 90 pounds. And when she hits the mat, well, it barely makes a sound. And when she's booked, you know the house is really down. Oh, Riho, Riho, you're just a grade school clown. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's gone. And and again, this is that's an indictment of... Olivier's delusional fascination with whatever subculture that he found her in to begin with over there. Well, I would get rid of her just because I'd be getting rid of Kenny Omega, and I know that his housemates can't stay if he goes. But what about... I understand there's a revolving door in the front of his house. 
But we'll talk about that another time. What about Ruby Soho? Hello, Ruby Soho. Does she still work there? I believe she's injured as well. Did I wonder how many of these people uh, Olafina landed on? Um, yeah, as badly as they bungled it, she's got a different look, and she was popular until she got there and then disappeared. I'd keep Ruby Soho. What about Soraya? Boy, again, you know, yes, if Soraya had been cleared by a medical professional that I trusted and that knew what the fuck he was doing, yeah, I'd keep her because she's got a big, well, she used to have a big name. And actually, since she was up there, she not only changed her name, she changed her face. So now, come to think of it, I'm starting to talk myself out of this. So if I keep her, then she was one of the biggest stars in women's wrestling, but under another name, so I can't advertise that name. And if I put her picture on the poster, it doesn't look like her anymore when she had that name, so people won't really recognize her. And I don't know whether the fuck that her neck is bad because she was obviously a not only a star for the biggest company in the world, but also they made a movie about her, and they still wouldn't put her back in the ring. So unless she's an announcer, I think she's got to go. What about Serena Deeb? I'd keep Serena, and she would be the female trainer. Because Serena doesn't have a over-the-top superstar striking look. And she doesn't have a, you know, a memorable gimmick. But she, on the card up and down the roster, she's the best wrestler probably in the ring that we've talked about so far and let's see as far as i the only girl here that i can see that was trained by rip rogers so i would make her the goddamn trainer for the whole division do you think she'd be able to help with the training of ty Mello of the jericho appreciation society who has a record Ooh. of 60 and 12 what 60 and 12 Good God, can you imagine the highlights that could come out of that? Um, no, Ty Melo-Conti, uh, no. Here's the thing. Well, where's Sa Sammy was on the, I'm on the fence about him list because of his attitude. And was he going to start another backstage kerfluffle or, you know, kill himself or whatever the case? She's got such a heat-getting face, I would never put her in the ring, except if it was like a mixed tag angle with her and Sammy being the heels and some baby-faced girl wanted to give her what for. That you know, But that heat-getting face, you don't find that every day. You know, I'm going to put her over here with Sammy on the men's list because she'd be in his corner if she was employed and not as a trying to implicate her as an actual legitimate wrestler. All right. Jim, a recently announced signee, as well as someone with a career 9-15 and 15 record, Willow Nightingale. Uh, trying to think, trying to think. Ah, bushy hair, pleasant smile. Let's give old Willow a chance. I think she came out of Ring of Honor. I could be wrong, though. 
I believe she did. Let's give old Willow a chance. And the final name on the women's roster here. Oh, so there's not 150 of these like there is the men. No, but again, Kiara Hogan's not here. Layla Gray is not here. I just thought of them off the top of my head. I'm sure there are other women we see on TV that are not here on this list. What about the magical girl, Yaka Sakazaki? Excuse me, Yuka Sakazaki. Yaka Sakazaki. (laughs) I fucked that up, but her name is Yuka. Well, now, which one is it? Yuka Sakazaki or Yaka Suzuki or, or... It's the magical girl, Yuka Sakazaki. Is she under All contract? Right. I, I remember seeing her in the, or hearing that name in the first year of AEW. I'm sure Kenny got all of his harem of, you know, cushy three-year deals. Oh, good Lord. So we have just got, wait a minute, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. We've gone through 31 names. Counting Kiara Hogan and Layla Gray, who you mentioned, and by the way, I passed on them also, uh, and we kept 15 and we crossed out 16. So they're batting about 50% over there on the women's side, which is considerably better than on the men's side, where I think we kept about 30%. So how many people did you say you would keep? Uh, We kept 15 and dropped 16. Is that enough in your eyes? Well, that's just out of this group um, that we, you know, if you wanted to have a women's division, I assume you would actively still be looking for other people. But this is, if I was going to put women's wrestling on, these 15 people out of that group are who I would have on the roster. Is there anyone on your list that you see in any way, as of this moment, having the potential to break out like a... Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, Bianca Belair, and be at that level? <sighs> Tony Storm could be very popular with that look. Um, but she could work, I'd, too. I but, mean, that's what I'm saying, yeah, she, in the yeah. ring. Well, no, I'm. but still, to break out, I don't, Serena Deeb can outwork everybody, but she ain't going to probably be in the main event at WrestleMania like Becky Lynch because of the intangibles. Um, it, Cargill is a wild card for way down the road. Cause let's face it. She's still wrestling once a week. If that, or maybe t- if they put her on YouTube a lot, you know, once or twice a week, we don't know how dedicated she is to her training or if she's doing it every day. Somebody in the OVW developmental system, Somebody at her level of experience might be making main roster shots, but would still be back in Louisville three or four days a week going to class. I don't know if now they've, if she's convinced or if they're convinced that she's past going to class every day, she's not. So she might be otherwise, I don't, you know, and Britt Baker, I, I said three years ago, she's a professional. She's a dentist. She's attractive. She's well-spoken. But if it was going to happen, it would have happened, but it's not going to happen with that promotional machine and that company behind her. They can't. That's a, it's a big boy promotional push that they've not been able to pull off. 
So, uh, no, I don't really see any superstars here, regardless. So you have 15 people on your list. Give me those names real quick. Tony Storm, Thunder Rosa with a question mark, Jane Cargill, Anna Jay, because of you, Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter, Chris Statlander, Layla Hirsch with a question mark, because if it's who I remember, I probably wouldn't keep her just on appearance alone. Um, Madison Rain, Mercedes Martinez, Penelope Ford, Reba, Ruby Soho, Serena Deeb, and Willow Nightingale. And Reba would be with Britt only, not a wrestler. So of your 15 names, Thunder Rosa's not currently active, allegedly because of a back injury, and the other, and you have three other women who are out with injuries. So that leaves you with 11 names. Well, and then also Reba's only in the corner with Britt. So that's 10 names in the division. And then Layla's a question mark. Yeah. Layla was one of the names I had on my Oh, Layla's one of the injured. Yes. Well, in that case. Yeah, that's about it. Well, that was the... And and, and what (laughs) what did we lose here? Abaddon, seriously. I mean, she remembers that not only did she do the zombie thing, but she got the round moon face. She's five foot nothing and pudgy. Aqua that we haven't seen in fucking years, if she still exists on the planet. Athena that's reckless and, you know, dangerous and throws her big ass on everybody. Bunny. Where the fuck did Bunny go anyway? She went back to her rabbit hole. Emmy Sakura. When we need a queen tribute band, we'll call. Hikaru Shida. Actually, you know what? I'm going to put Hikaru Shida back over on the keep pile. Because if she wasn't around Twinkle Toes and the rest of these idiots, you might could teach her something. Wow. We got rid of Leva Bates. We got rid of Nyla Rose, but only because that's a wasted opportunity that's too late to rehab. Paige Van Zant, I think she soured on the business to begin with. Red Velvet. I keep Red Velvet. Does she even still exist? We haven't seen her in ages. She's injured. And I don't know. I wonder. Let me hear me out on this. Will she come back three inches taller and 30 pounds heavier? No. And maybe she'll be injury prone because of her build. I don't know. However, I would find something else to do with her. I think she's one of those people that I don't know. I could you see her I could see her at ringside doing something, like a Zelina Vega, and I hate to compare her to another girl in another company, but I wouldn't just give up on Red Velvet. She seems to be one of the people that tries hard. Oh golly. All right, Red Velvet in the middle with a question mark. And who knows? All maybe right. maybe she won't get hurt and maybe she'll be able to work again. Reho! And Soraya, we may you know, I I don't know what the fuck's going on there. Either do um, they. Either do they. She came at that yeah. one promo where she was like trying to be the commissioner of the women's division, and then the next week, she's not. I don't know what the hell they're doing with her. <laughs> uh, Yuka, Yuka Suzuki, Suzaki, yeah, her. Yuka Sakazaki. And Kira Hogan and Layla Gray rounds out, and they haven't been around in ages anyway. And I keep Layla Gray. Uh, especially because we need more women in the division, and she's a really good-looking woman, and she has been pretty good in the ring from what I've seen. They haven't really used her that way, but when they first started using her, that's how they used her. Kiara Hogan's pretty good as the ro- in the role of like Jade's 
You know, the, the, the Jade's little friend who runs her mouth. <sighs> so I would I'm keep unco- her. T- I'm unconvinced. I've given you enough fucking picks here today. I'm putting together a great division for you. Just trust me. Yeah. Well, we'll put question marks down there also. But that's that. There's our picks. Now we've gone through all the human beings and we're going to study these notes and on an episode in the next week or so, we're going to figure out now how we can put this together and who else we need to pare down to get to the meat of the matter in AEW. Is At least it's more than Tony Khan is doing. Every once in a while, you need to look at your stock and say, you know what, that shit's been sitting on the shelf for a while. Maybe I either need to donate it to charity or have a discount sale just to get some room around here. Yeah, sometimes you could sell a stock at a loss. So just let Andrade go. (laughs) I think he already has. And every time he he comes back, he'll just punch somebody else and get sent home again. Happy birthday, Andre. Happy birthday. All right. Well, those, those are our picks for women. But you know what? You can... You can make picks in almost anything these days, Brian. And a matter of fact, sometimes the picks that you make can make you money. Do you realize that? That sounds fantastic. You would you like to make would you like to be picking and grinning? Hey, I'd like to make some the, money. That's exactly what you're gonna do. You pick and then you grin when you win the money, and it's all through our friends at prize picks. Now, folks, if you play the daily fantasy and you make entries on the player projections. And you like to to do that, there's no better people to do it with than with prize picks. Because all you got, you're not playing against people. That might be tough. You're playing against yourself and the projections and random chance. So that's a sure thing. And let's say, for example, you say that Cooper Cup is going to score more than 0.5 touchdowns in a particular game. Wasn't that the guy in the sting mask on Monday or on Wednesday? Coop, Cooper Cup. Cooper that was Cup. Him. He's he's a he's a football player too, and apparently he scores touchdowns by the half. But let's say you're going to ask, should Tyreek Hill catch less than three and a half passes in this game? Well, it's hard to catch half a pass too. So you see how easy this is to win money. All you got to do is go to PrizePicks.com. And pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their prize picks projection, then you can win up to ten times your money. And all the sports that they projectify on, including the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, soccer, WNBA, esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf, Euro basketball, cricket. Boy, if they took projections on AEW, you could talk about, hey, I believe there's going to be more than three locker room fights at Dynamite this Wednesday night. That would be a sure thing. But anyway, interesting. on all those other sports, entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Let's say, for example, you might pick, let's say, Brittany Griner is going to serve over seven years of her sentence. Boom. If she does, you might have to wait seven years to find out, but you can win money. 
And right now, if you download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play these daily fantasy sports, and who doesn't want a fantasy once a day, then first time <laughs> users can get a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code JCE. If you deposit 100, Prize Picks will give you 100. If you deposit 50, Prize Picks will give you 50. As long as you enter the promo code JCE when you sign up for the instant deposit match. And don't try to do what some people have done and put in counterfeit money. Because what they do then is they just give you back phony money too. Well, it's So nobody prospers. Well, again, I think the transaction will be done digitally so they don't have to worry about any counterfeit money being sent to them and people at home should know better than to do that. Well, yeah, well, no, several people sent them an envelope with, with fifties and hundreds that they'd Xeroxed on a copy machine and that won't I, work. So prize picks is just going to send you back some, some phony bills. Well, let's just agree with it. Won't work. It won't work. It will not work. Prizepicks.com. Sign up right now. Promo code JCE. You're going to win all kinds of money. As long as you're right. And if you listen to this program, I'm sure you're right all the time. And speaking of right all the time, Brian, what in the world is going on in the land of the 605 and the wrestling news? Another action-packed week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcasts or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes. Of course, subscribe to The Wrestling News, wherever you find your favorite podcast. Look for Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News, or go to TheWrestlingNews.com to download it directly. Free daily wrestling newscast covering all the happenings throughout the world of professional wrestling with no opinion, no conjecture, no star ratings, no rumors, just actual wrestling news. Thank you so much to everyone who's already subscribed and been checking out the show and sharing the show. Check it out today, once again, at TheWrestlingNews.com. You know why they're getting behind the wrestling news? Why is that? That's because you guys are ahead of the wrestling news. That's right, or wherever you find your favorite podcast, a lot more to come from the wrestling news. Stay tuned for more information. Of course, as I said, get information about all the shows on Twitter, at Super Podcasts, or on Facebook, Facebook.com, slash Arcadian Vanguard, and of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Membership! Go through the archives today at 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcast. Thank you to everyone who's been going through the archive. It always is amazing. The Mothership. All right. Well, before we close the show up, a little wild card, bitches, for all of you, because we've talked about this, and it's kind of been an AEW-themed program today, the way it's turned out, and we won't do that on the drive-thru. We're going to talk about SmackDown and Crown Jewel amongst the frivolity we have on the drive-thru so that'll kind of be a wwe centric review program and then questions from the cult of cornet members but this just came out uh or at least i just saw it it's from the afternoon uh, friday afternoon that's where so it's it just came out but anyway um dave Scherer over at pwinsider.com has written kind of an editorial piece in response to a question that they received and you know we quote pw insider a lot because they don't have a dog in the fight they report what goes on and 
Mike Johnson or Dave Shearer often will answer questions, give their opinion, which is clearly labeled as such when they do. Uh, they don't engage in the whisper campaigns and the they don't just take one side's narrative. They think for themselves. Mike Johnson is a very, very unconfrontational fellow. He's fair to everybody, but they don't bullshit people. And in the interest of full disclosure, and Brian, I think you know this, Mike Johnson is the one that contacted me and said, well, I just want you to know, Jim, that a guy named Tony Khan is going to be contacting you and he really is a billionaire, and he really does own these sports teams, So, and he wants to start a wrestling promotion, because they knew that if some guy that I'd never heard of called up and said he was a billionaire and wanted to start a wrestling promotion, he'd never get me on the phone. I don't think you've ever revealed that publicly before. I, I don't know that I have, but I, I don't think the NDA covers who gave him my phone number. <laughs> I don't so. think it does, no. I don't believe I got Mike in any trouble, but the point is they're not an anti-AEW organization over there. Uh, they they facilitated that connection because they're interested in the professional wrestling industry, but they're not on anybody's side. But having said that, Dave Shearer wrote this column, and since we've made some comments in this program and on an ongoing basis... I, I thought it would be interesting to see what another learned person in the wrestling journalism industry has to say about what opinion he's formed based on what he has learned. So this is on, again, pwinsider.com. It's from Friday afternoon at 2.39 p.m. by Dave Shearer about the AEW investigation and related incidents. If Tony Khan would have only been transparent and shared with the media the details of the investigation, we wouldn't have to piece together what happened. For a man who loves doing two-hour media scrums after five-hour pay-per-views where he can say how great everything in AEW is, he has no interest in sharing the details real reporters and their readers or listeners want to know. And just watch his painful interview with Ariel Hawani if you doubt that. Since Tony won't share any facts, all we can do is surmise things we know to be true, as well as add in what has been reported in quotation marks. So here goes. From what I have heard and seen, the investigation was a farce. Even if we ignore that it took two months for the crack team of sleuths, <laughs> sleuths to figure out what happened in a five-minute incident, any legitimate investigator would interview every single witness. They wouldn't cherry-pick the people who would give the company, in this case Tony Khan, the finding that they're looking for, especially when it involved officers in the company, as three of those under investigation were executive vice presidents. Clearly, talking to A. Steele's wife about what went on would have most probably contradicted the outcome that Tony Khan seemingly wanted, so according to reports, she was ignored. Why? Unless she and her husband were paid a sum of money for their silence, it seems pretty clear that her story would not have allowed the EVPs to come out looking like the victims, which no fair person could ever say that they were, since they barged into Punk's locker room uninvited. You can make a case that Punk was more wrong if he threw the first punch, but the Jackson boys were also wrong for going in there in the first place, especially when you consider that they are officers in the company. 
which I know a lot of the AEW-friendly media doesn't seem to understand or chooses to ignore to fit their slanted narrative. The irony is that while Khan was sitting next to CM Punk at the scrum, shaking his head in agreement to most of the things Punk said, like a marionette puppet, and even flat out repeating what he told Forbes that he himself was wrong for not publicly correcting the false story that Punk held back Colt Cabana sooner, he gave the appearance that he supported Punk, all while his star was unprofessionally eviscerating his company. He never contradicted him or made any attempt to stop him at the scrum. I guess after the fact, he did a 180. Maybe Chris Jericho and the EVPs got in his ear as we are now suddenly hearing stories from AEW-friendly outlets that Punk was a locker room cancer and Jericho put on his Superman suit and gave Phil Brooks a stern talking to after the altercation. Of course, for the first two months after the incident, Jericho's supposed leadership and heroism was never mentioned. It very well may be untrue, but hell, so was the planted punk got Colt pushed off TV story, and look at all the damage that one caused AEW. This one could do just as much damage as Khan seems to have chosen an almost 52-year-old Chris Jericho and the EVPs, those with the distinction of losing hundreds of thousands of viewers from the start of Dynamite until their segments aired at the end of the shows. But again, if the goal was to find the EVPs innocent and punk guilty, mission accomplished. And that kind of, from a third party, from a, a unrelated incident or from an unrelated person gives an outside view of the looking in of the incident and how it doesn't reflect well on the company or the investigative process. But Dave goes on. Well, can I, can I only oh, jump go in ahead. a few, a few go things? Go ahead, please. Because he's very right about that. And look, everyone gets accused of taking a side. There are people who think we're just on CM Punk's side. In this case, I, I think that you have to pay attention to his side, too. You can't just dismiss it because your favorite wrestlers got their ass kicked. I think it is important to point out that some of the things he said here are really true. The Chris Jericho narrative of wrestling history as it happened has been disseminated widely since AEW started. No bad reviews of any of the bad segments of Chris Jericho matches or angles or promos in The Observer, ever. Not one. He's had a lot of bad moments in AEW. He's had good moments, let's not lie. None of the bad moments ever get called out, because Jericho plants all this shit with Dave, and everyone fucking knows it. The locker room knows it. Everyone knows it. It's not subtle. So all of a sudden, we are seeing a spin appear in The Observer. Oh, this is certainly taking a different tone on PWInsider.com as was taken in The Observer last week. But anyone who was involved or anyone who was there in the immediate aftermath, everyone thought Chris Jericho was a clown. He was there putting on a show after the fact. He could have run in that room. It wasn't like he didn't know what was happening. It wasn't like he wasn't nearby. He chose to not run in that room. He chose to stand back while everything happened. He, he, was, smart enough, he was smart enough to let everybody hang themselves. Listen, I don't care what happened in that room. 
Jericho already knew he was going to go right to Mega and Tony and insist on Punk being fired. I promise you that. Jericho knew what he was going to do. He could have gone in that room. Instead, he waited for everything to play out, and then all of a sudden he emerges. One of the biggest bullshit artists in modern wrestling, Chris Jericho. The Young Bucks side, everyone knows Dave's completely compromised when it comes to anything concerning those guys, because they're his guys. So I think that's important, but this investigation, and I don't know how much more Dave talks about it, but I'll just say this here. Everything we're hearing about a third-party investigation, who is the third party? Is it a law firm in Chicago? Is it a law firm that does business with the cons or has done business with the cons? That's the most important thing that has not gotten out there as much as Ace Steel's wife being talked to, which is an egregious thing to leave out of an investigation. The person in the room who wasn't throwing punches. The person in the room on the couch who saw everything. Let's not talk to them. I want to know who's doing the investigation. Is Mega Parikh involved in the investigation? In any way, is she involved in the oversight of the investigation? Is she, is she investigating or is she being investigated? See, th- none of these questions, and Dave Shearer is right about this. And look, I understand the idea of not wanting to air all your public info, all your company info publicly. Tony does throw Have a lot of stuff of out the there. the people that got investigated been given a copy of the investigation? Is there a copy of the investigation? Is there a document that has been generated that has the findings of the investigation? And if so, who's seen it? And do the people involved even know what's going on? Because we, we, keep, we kept hearing that all of these people heard nothing from AEW. I hadn't even thought about this until right now, but did the investigation take into account that Tony Khan has publicly talked about thinking conflict backstage is good? That things come out of the owner of the company is on the record saying that he thinks good things come out of backstage conflict. And look at everything well, good that's come out of it this year. You mentioned that. Let's go back to Dave Shearer because this, uh, the next paragraph, the question of why Punk acted as he did is pretty clear. Tony Khan lets the inmates run the asylum. Hangman Page goes off script and shoots on Punk on promo. Punk then shoots back. It was a perfect time to tell the wrestlers to knock that stuff off. He didn't. Someone, in quotations, plants a lie to AEW-friendly outlets that Punk forced Colt Cabana off TV. They run with it, even though Cabana was hardly on TV anyway, and when he was, it was in a comedy group. It fits the apologist narrative, since they like the EVPs and hate Punk, so they run with it. What does Tony do? Nothing. He lets it fester. And then much later admits he was wrong. Brilliant. What led Punk to blow up? These events and many more. When he said he worked with children, I think he nailed it. Now, Punk is seemingly being forced out of the company for, I guess, starting a fight. That isn't allowed in AEW, unless Sammy Guevara attacks Andrade on Twitter and then Andrade hits him at TV. I guess if you invite Tony to your wedding, you can get away with stuff like that. Too bad for Punk, he is already happily married. That goes into a lot more of it, too. Tony, as a manager, as a general manager, as the owner, as the promoter, did nothing. And then they finally have a meeting where Jericho could pretend he's the hero, and then Omega insults the locker room? That was the meeting! That was the meeting to try to get everyone to come together! I wouldn't hire eight out of ten of you! 
So the problem is Tony. The problem is not going away. So it's about everything around Tony. But again, going back to this investigation and everything with Punk, this was all allowed to play out. And I think when you look back now on the series of events, and again, a real investigation into this would have to look at all these things. It kind of seems like there was a hit on Punk from the very beginning from certain people. Like well, were, and you go ahead. They were just waiting for the opportunity. And thankfully, we got a good year of TV and wrestling out of it. But I feel like there were people trying to get him from the beginning because they really didn't want him there. And we know why. Well, and, you know, one of the EVPs would hire Riho, but not CM Punk. All right, continuing with Dave Shearer, because this brings up the activity. He says, I love the AEW-friendly narrative that was all Punk's fault because he allegedly threw the first punch. I don't know about you, but if I just called out three pro wrestlers and said, if you had a problem with it, come see me, and then they angrily burst into my locker room uninvited, I would think they were there to get a piece of me. I sure wouldn't let that happen. I would go down swinging too. If you don't want me to hit you, don't burst into my locker room. Add in the fact that these guys are also officers in the company. They were arguably more wrong than Punk because they should realize that by doing what they did, they give Punk cause to sue the company. No one was right here. They shouldn't have burst in and Punk shouldn't have hit him. If they come back, he should come back. And if Tony chooses them over Punk, Khan should be paying him a sizable chunk of the Khan fortune to not wrestle for AEW. And I believe he will because Punk has all the leverage here. And then we get into this past week's Dynamite. So on Dynamite this week, Dave says, Colt Cabana was on TV against Jericho. At least one AEW apologist said that proved all along that Punk kept Cabana off TV. Good Lord to be that clueless. I won't get into how wrong that person was today, but the fact of the matter is that Cabana appearing on TV was an FU to Punk. It can't be seen any other way by a sane person. Was it Jericho's idea? Was it Khan's? If I had to guess, I would say Jericho suggested it, and the head booker went with it. It doesn't matter in the end because it was a firing him on his wedding day kind of thing to do. So unless hell freezes over, it looks like Punk is done with AEW. Maybe the reason Khan sat at the scrum apparently agreeing with Punk and certainly not shutting him down in any way was due to the fact that he knew Punk was the company's biggest draw. After all, he had made that extremely clear to reporters at earlier scrums. In the moment, maybe he was thinking like a businessman and let his top star vent about true issues that he himself had caused. Maybe, despite Punk's unprofessional way of delivering the message, he also heard the truth that Punk was speaking and realized it was time to get the backstage environment under control, you know, like in WWE. Then maybe once he got away from straight shooting Punk and back among the more savvy wrestlers who know how to push all of the buttons that Khan loves to have pushed, he changed his mind. Or maybe he just likes owning a wrestling company and being a booker, which he can do with his family fortune. And I, I just want to stress, I don't think it's just the EVPs or Jericho, I think you can't underestimate how much he puts into what Mega tells him. And he's hearing it from Mega too, because she's on their side. Well, and Dave continues, 
Actually, he refers in the next paragraph. He says, now it's Dixie Carter, Vince Russo, TNA, as far as an alternative to WWE. And, you know, I mean, he goes on, and everybody should read the whole interview, but basically he closes with the paragraph that business is down. The chaos in the backstage area and the loss of not just the EVPs, but Punk and the terrible booking that led into that all-out pay-per-view and the terrible booking since then has done damage. And, you know, asking the question at the end of the piece Obviously, with all signs pointing to Punk being gone after AEW putting Cabana on television in that match against Jericho, simply to give him the middle finger and for no business reasons whatsoever, EVPs are going to be back, Punk is gone. Will this be the finger poke of doom moment? Have they finally shit the bed? And I'm I'm saying this, not Dave Shearer. Have they finally shit the bed? in such a fashion that people have, except for the diehards, which ain't enough, as we know, to support everything, have they run these people off? Are they going to give them another chance? Or is it just chaos? And then the question that we've asked, are they ever going to be able to get serious top talent to go there again when they've set a pattern that even if you go there and draw money, have great matches, produce ratings, whatever. If the EVPs don't like you, then they're going to bury you and make your life miserable. That could be a double whammy that Tony Khan ain't going to be able to pull himself out of. Talent don't want to come, and the fans are pissed off. There is a lot of what you just said there that I think is important. You know... With the EVPs, the other thing is everyone who wants to take their side, how are they going to feel when the EVPs leave? Are they going to feel the same way, that Tony made the right decision? I mean, Punk's injured. And quite frankly, I mean, that has to be talked about too. Punk got hurt again. We don't know what kind of future in the ring he would have. There is something to be said for that in terms of what decision you make and who you keep and whatever. But we don't know how long Omega or the Bucks are for AEW. Jericho ain't going anywhere because he's never going to get the power he has in WWE that he has with Tony Khan. He'll well, he's under it. contract till he's 66 anyway, but no, you're right. He will never give this up willingly. No, 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 no. It's going to be kicking and screaming to get him to give it up. But here's the thing now. Where, where are the other EVPs? Where are they going to go? Because if AEW is no threat to the WWE, which now I think they've established that it's not, then they're not going to pay big money for either the Bucks or Twinkle Toes. Because as we've said before, the Bucks, they only offered them anything to for the billionaire and the upcoming wrestling company that they didn't know what it was going to be like. They wouldn't have them. They might try something with Kenny, but he would literally have a mental meltdown in that locker room because of his personality. The other guys would just nail him to the wall every day and he would be miserable and he'd go out of his mind. 
Plus, physically, he would have an issue. That's the other thing. Physically, he'd have an issue, too, getting cleared or whatever. But, I mean, I I can't imagine him subsisting, even in the nice locker room they have in the WWE now with, with you know, <laughs> oh, God. So, anyway, they ain't going to go anywhere on purpose, only if they have to. And 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 another comment that Dave makes in this editorial, in Tony's world, friends matter. It appears that after time had passed, he thought, sure, Punk's a draw, but he's not my friend like Jericho and the EVPs. Friends yeah. matter. He doesn't get high. To Tony. Well, there you go. Yeah, he's straight edge. So he couldn't hang out with Tony after hours. Punk couldn't. Right. So that's the thing. Friends matter to Tony. Now, when he finds out some of these people were only his friends because he was Richie Rich and Cadbury cooked a hell of a fucking lunch he might be hurt but that's you know when we grow up we all have to find out these things that's the saddest thing we criticize aew and you've had personal dealings with tony khan i haven't uh one-on-one -on -one at least but we criticize aew i don't criticize him as a person i think from everyone i talk to they all think he's a really good person he means well even when sometimes he does the wrong thing. I don't know if Punk feels that way right now, but a lot of other people do. But sometimes you hear from people who are frustrated there, and it's almost like they feel bad for him because he doesn't realize some of the people he's listening to are playing him. Whether they are or aren't, I don't know. I mean, that's, you know, Tony could probably decide that on his own, but that's one of the things you hear. Like, I feel bad. Tony doesn't realize he's being led down the wrong way. Hey, at least he's made it longer than Gordon Scazzari did. Well, anybody can do that. I was there for that one. He just had a pack of checks in his hand. Not even a register, just a pack of checks. Here, I need this, Gordon. Oh, sure, wrote checks, just handed them out. If you're CM Punk and you saw Cole Cabana on that show, why wouldn't you at this point? They're just fucking with you. Why wouldn't you smack the person who's fucking with you? I mean, it's almost like the locker room fight, actually. You know someone's yeah. fucking with you. Now they're doing it right in your face. That's, From that's, my personal that's experience, that's when someone gets smacked in the fucking mouth. Well, earlier in the program, that's why I said they, I mean, he can't smack him because he's not in the room. Uh, but you can sure sue him. And that's what, apparently, they don't give a shit whether Tony gets sued or not. But they don't realize that if he decides to sue again, and I'll close the show after this. He's going to sue every You sue everybody that's involved with a situation. Everybody is named. And then you go about conducting depositions under oath. And there's a wide variety of things that can be talked about in the process of that, in, in, as long as it pertains to the individuals involved. Were any of the individuals involved, do they have any habits that might cloud their judgment? and lead them to do things that sometimes people wouldn't do if they were of a level, un, unaltered mind state. Is there a record of the executives acting this way towards other talents who are not CM Punk? That's another question that might be brought up. Or a question of exactly what is the hierarchy here, and since everybody from 
the ne- guy next to the person next to the top on down was part of the invading horde in the, into the locker room. Do we have a severe conflict? I mean, the whole thing, it, you could, my God, this is a, a, a attorney's dream to take all these depositions. And then even, even if it's sealed, even if it's sealed, it all goes in writing and people know about it. And, and that's the way things spread. I was going to say, if Punk really wants to punish them for what they're doing to him, try to fight it being sealed. Let everything get out there. Let everything get out there. Let all the info emerge. That's what AEW doesn't want. That's what they're fighting more than anything. Well, and that's why I thought that Tony'd be smart enough not to poke this bear until he fucking paid him off and sent him on his way. But the EVPs... And uh, the the canned ham in charge, Chris Jericho. Hey, if Punk is the cancer of the locker room, does that make Jericho the COVID of the locker room? I don't know. I think he's more like tuberculosis. He's an old-fashioned disease. <laughs> it's really out of out of favor at this point in time, but he's trying to make a comeback. All right, should we just close the show up on that one, Chris Tuberculosis? I think so. I think more to come on the drive-thru if anything big happens over the weekend on Crown Jewel. Well, we'll talk about it anyway. Even if nothing yes. happens, I guess we're going to talk about it. Oh, well, the chances are nothing's going to happen, and we're going to talk about it anyway. But otherwise, in parting, folks, thank you for being with us on another ride here on The Experience. And for Brian and all the minions, thank you, fuck you, and bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights, I get to stay up late. Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Hey mom, I need to watch the show. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Go on.
This is wrestling heaven. Don't listen to Corny, he hasn't been relevant since 87. He thinks that Luchasaurus can't work a lick, or that Bobby Eaton could hold a candle to either Matt or him. He wants to cut up our heroes with a rusty fishing knife, or get them in the hot tub to play Scott the Submarine with him and his wife. And no, Mom, I'm not bitter. This has nothing to do with Jim blocking me on Twitter. And now, here comes Nero. Wearing pajamas like me, he's my hero. The young bucks could shoot on Buzz Sawyer. Make Brock Lesnar take a Canadian destroyer. Don't come in, Mom. Don't come in. Are you touching yourself again? Wi-Fi oh, no. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, I need to watch this show Elster says I'm in the key demo I am 39, I'm in the key demo I'm a single 